0: What's up, Sifters? Welcome to Game Face, episode 85. On today's show, we're gonna try and find out if everything old can be good again with
1: Call of Duty World War II. And we're going to uh, morbidly simulate some walking with the What, what, what Remains of Edith Finch. That yeah, that's movie. a long time. <laughs> it's a weird title.
0: <laughs> and we're gonna hide and seek and crap our pants without less 2 Let's go! <laughs> ahoy sifters it's friday the last day for any semblance of responsibility across the land Hmm. everyone's planning for a great friday night hopefully we're catching you guys before you head out to do your thing game face 85 on sifted.net uh, we got a great show today, so probably the most topics we've had on an episode in a month or two. Lots of stuff going on in the industry, and we don't want to waste any time because we've got to hit our three-hour time limit. <laughs> so let's get right to it. The first topic, the, undoubtedly the biggest news of the week, Matt. Call of Duty, World War II, finally unveiled after everything had leaked out and we kind of knew a lot about it anyway. And I think the first thing that struck me was, after the debut, I didn't feel like I knew all that much more about it than I did before the debut.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, also because a lot of what they revealed was sort of stuff you could pretty safely assume. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it covers the, you know, wasn't the first, first uh, infantry division or something yeah. like that, and, like... You play a, a soldier, and there's a D-Day thing, and, you know, that, you know the, the multiplayer is Axis versus Allies, and, you know, it's going to be all, it's going to be Call of Duty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the night before the debut, I tweeted, uh, what are the odds that they debut the game with Storming the Beach at Normandy? <laughs> and the very first shots- Better
1: than average. Of the trailer. Yeah, I think most people replied, like, 99.9%. Well, I mean, to be, like, people go on about how, oh, I'm sick of Normandy, sick of the beach at Normandy. But They've only been in, like, five or six games ever. And and one of those was Company of Heroes, and the other one was a remake sort of port of uh, Alley Assault. Yeah. It's it's kind of high time to see this done in modern tech.
0: I think that's the point I was going to make, is that it's kind of one of those benchmark things. We've Mm -hmm. seen it done in prior games that, to lead with something like that and kind of show how technology has evolved to a place where it can portray something like that even better, probably with a smart move, it's certainly the most... I think a lot of people would argue the most iconic moment
1: from battles from World War II. No, oh, it's the most important day of the 20th century for sure, and the largest invasion in h- human history. I mean, yeah, and
0: probably forever. Because I mean, now gotta, it's like yeah. we use drones and
1: yeah, you wouldn't ships need, you, you wouldn't offshore. need as many people as many people or as many, much hardware to do that. Today. At the
0: very least, they'd fly like 20 drones over the beach and just yeah. clean it out before people had to go onto the beach. So. It is kind of a moment in time that will probably never happen again. At least I hope it never happens again. It's also one of the mm-hmm. worst days in the history of, of our society.
1: So what are your impressions overall, Matt? How do you feel about how the game looks? I think it looks great. Yeah? Like, you know, I mean, it's not a huge leap over, like, what we've been seeing in the Call of Duty games. But, like, you know, I guess if you're going with your gold standard uh, being, say, Battlefield 1, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean also because I've never seen a World War Two game look this good. Right. So, oh I mean, yeah. It's been a long doubt. time. Even
0: if you go back to like PC World War Two yeah. games back in the day, they still never. I mean, this probably. Good.
1: I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's like some, eh, maybe Co- Company Heroes Two. Maybe it looks pretty good if you look if you zoom in enough. I don't know. Yeah. But nothing like this. I mean, it's uh, it's nice to see. The, you know, this subject matter kind of handled with this graphical fidelity.
0: Yeah. Well, what do you think, now that you've kind of seen it with your own two eyes, the whole idea of, quote, unquote, boots on the ground? Did you get sick of hearing the phrase boots on the ground boots during on the, the ground, presentation? Some, some
1: feet in the mud, some socks on the dirt. You know, some, uh... <laughs> Somebody needs to
0: make a uh, remix of pants on the ground with <laughs> boots on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um like there's you know i know there's a lot of there's a lot of cynicism flying around mostly from polygon i guess about, you know, the, oh, the, the boots on the ground thing. is Oh, they're they're only using diversity as a marketing tactic. that I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, so? like What's, what's their argument there about that, though? I uh, mean, I
0: know they mentioned during the presentation that they're, you run into, like, a company of African-American Yeah, basically, and... like,
1: you know, you, you're playing as, I guess, probably a few guys. I mean, I imagine it's the same as, like, the Call of Duty campaigns before where you jump around a little bit. It's actually not for the most part. You play as one primary character... Oh well, yeah, you play as, uh, what's his name? Uh, Private Daniels. Red, or something like that? Do they have a nickname? I don't Do remember. I know he's,
0: his name's Private Daniels, and they said that there's one other French sniper that you play as mm. for a while, but that's pretty much where they kind of cut it off. It doesn't sound like it's yeah. like every mission, different guy, No, different. but
1: like, I, I don't know. Call of Duty traditionally has three different viewpoints uh, on a lot of those, yeah. those classic games when they're trying to kind of de- depict the different places. Uh, I don't know, maybe they haven't told us everything, but uh, you got to save something for E3. Yeah. Um... But uh, yeah, I mean, are I mean, you excited for it? You don't sound excited for it. I mean, I'm never like super excited for another Call of Duty game, but like, I like World War II. I'm, I mean, one would probably call a World War II history nerd, and uh, I'd like, I, I'm interested to see which battles they depict beyond. You know, obviously the storming of the beach. Well, they
0: said they're going to Sicily. Yeah, is one of the locations. which could be another
1: beach invasion. <laughs> we might add. Yeah, and it mostly takes place... a less interesting one. But, yeah,
0: uh... and it mostly takes place on the western front, mm. and it runs from nineteen forty-four to forty-five. Mm. So that kind of period so in p- there. The
1: pure drive to Berlin, basically. yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's kind. Of, I would like have liked to have seen Stalingrad done with this tech, yeah. um, and if this is successful, I'm sure we will. You know, I mean. Uh, and again, yeah, you know, I know people have complained that like, oh, another European theater one. Like, people want the Pacific, but the, you know, the Pacific theater is not really that conducive to uh, boots on the ground, because <laughs> um, it's all island hopping stuff, and it, like, the, it it doesn't lend itself as well to sort of the, the epic scale battles unless you're like talking about like maybe Iwo Jima and. Guadalcanal are, were pretty, you know, big meat grinders, essentially. Yeah. But, like, when you're t- like, the turning points of the European theater are very easy to depict in a first-person shooter, whereas the turning point of the Pacific theater was Midway. Right. In which the two ships never even saw each other. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's just easier to tell the story of the war in Europe. Um, and the couple times that they've tried, you know, EA at least has tried to do Pacific games... It, yeah, it didn't really set the sales charts on fire, so I can see whether going back to the comfort zone, so to speak.
0: I think I'm totally fine with the setting. It has been a while, and I was one of those people who got really tired of the World War II setting mm-hmm. back in the PS2 era.
1: Yeah. It's been, what, I mean, since the last World War II Call of Duty was, 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 what, nine years? It's been about a decade, yeah. Because was, 2007 was... Uh, Modern Warfare, and then yeah. we had World at War from Treyarch the year after, and then everything went modern. Yeah, from then on, it's
0: out. been around a decade, and that's enough time to kind of forget about a lot of things and kind of mm-hmm. get a little bit of refreshment from going back to something. My biggest concern is the game is the gameplay. Um, when you've taken people on this journey where you've evolved it iteration after iteration, and I, it is it's kind of crazy to think about it because you know a lot of people criticize Call of Duty as being the same every year, but I think now. We've kind of reached this reflection point where we can look back 10 years ago and actually see how far the series has come gameplay-wise in a decade. And it's changed pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, look, I know you're going to get a lot of the stuff that's kind of come along over the years, like the pick 10 system. I'm sure all that stuff's going to come back. The stuff that will work within this framework. Mm-hmm. But the actual gameplay itself, I'm really worried about. Like, there's the one part in the trailer where they show Melee with a helmet. <laughs> I mean, just the fact, you know, I know for a fact that when they create trailers for Call of Duty games, it is insane. They go through, like, ten layers of checks and balances, and it's it, it goes through, like, a hundred people before everything's finally signed off. And so, you know, Sledgehammer's got to be in these meetings saying, hey, you know, this is our really cool gameplay element that we want to make sure we show off in this trailer. And when it comes down to it, it's using your helmet as a melee that really has me a little nervous that it might be kind of rote as far as the from the gameplay perspective. Uh, and then, you you know, in the campaign, I don't see it as such a big deal. But I think when we are talking about multiplayer and that long tail that Call of Duty needs uh, to be a success every year, I, I just, I'm really wondering if it's going to have that... If the novelty of World War Two, which now oddly enough is a novelty, but mm-hmm. if that novelty of World War Two is going to be enough to sustain players after the first month or so online,
1: um, is this is World at War. This is World at War. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, that looks like a beach in in the Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, I don't I, mean, I don't know. Like I get what you're saying, but at the same time, people still play Counter Strike. So I mean, yeah. I, I if they if they're trying to couch as sort of a back to basics. Sort of thing. Uh, I can see that being interesting, and if they make it kind of, kind of like the way Battlefield, the original Battlefield 1942 did, where like, if you, I mean, I'm sure they won't. Actually, never mind. Yeah. Like, well, because like, like, Battlefield 42, headed, Battlefield 42, one of the interesting, like each map was very different. Each, right. each battle they depicted changed a little bit how you played the game. And then I remembered this is Call of Duty, and that's not going to be a thing.
0: right. See, that was a point I was going to make. Is it worked? fine in Battlefield 1 because Mm -hmm. it has all the... the multiplayer is insane. You have all these vehicles. um, I didn't really feel like I lost a lot gameplay-wise playing that. You have parachuting and all this other stuff. It it didn't feel old. But when you start thinking about what Call of Duty's multiplayer is, which is really just boots on the ground, Mm -hmm. first-person shooting... I don't know, man. I don't know if it's going mean, to be able to...
1: I, I feel like you can... I mean, other than, like, the wall running and stuff, you can probably bring in just about everything that defined Call of Duty multiplayer in the Modern Warfare era. You get your slides um, in. You get the slides in. You can get, uh... You know, you got your, be your fast, various classes. Um, in terms of, like, kill streak stuff, you can still... You know, there's still airstrikes. There's still... You know, you can't have a helicopter, obviously, probably. Yeah. But you can... Uh, maybe you could, like, change that to be, like, a long-range sniper that you just can't see yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, there's things you can... That would be a really cool it. idea. A kill streak that was a sniper.
0: Yeah. That perched somewhere and
1: just started people sort of guard people. To your ass. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a really good idea. Man, it would
1: piss people off. <laughs> it would.
0: It really would. It would piss me off. One thing that is encouraging, though, I think, is I feel like a lot of the gameplay innovations that have come into this series over the last decade have alienated a lot of people because it made being good at the game more difficult. And I totally get that for the people who are really good at it and for eSports and things like that, that's a good thing. It helps separate the great players from the average players. But I feel like one of the reasons that you're starting to see the sales slip in this franchise isn't necessarily because it's a futuristic game. I think it's because it's gotten so complicated and the people who continue to play it year after year have gotten so good that a lot of the casual players have just given up. Because Mm. it's just gotten worse and worse as time has gone on as far as being able to compete with these people. Mm. And uh, I feel like this might create a more level playing field so that as long as somebody's good enough at spotting enemies and then sighting up and pulling the trigger and mastering the firing patterns of their gun and stuff like that, which is a lot more simple than, hey, I got a jetpack now, (laughs) and there's this dude hovering 20 feet off the ground who's, like, shooting me in the eye socket. I mean... I think it'll take away, and it could be good, it could be bad, but I think it will take away kind of that elite layer of player out of out of the equation a little bit, and at least maybe give some of the more novice players a chance mm-hmm. to actually have some fun with it. Because I think we're kind of at a point where a lot of people just don't have fun playing the game anymore. There, it's no fun just getting killed over and over and over again. And I felt like as the gameplay deepened, that divide between the elite player and the average Joe, which makes up the bulk of people who buy Call of Duty, by the way. Yeah. I just feel like that divide has just spread so wide that it's just kind of alienated this this whole other group of people who can't spend all day, every day playing Call oh. of Duty. And look, it, it's happened for me, too. You know, I back Black Ops 2 around that time, I was a pretty good player at Call of Duty. You know, I could finish in the top four or five players every match. My KD was like 1.3, something like that. And I wasn't amazing or anything. I certainly wasn't eSports material, but I could hang and be competitive, and I was a, an asset to my team. Um, over the last couple releases, I've I just turned in everybody else almost. i just become fodder for the really good players. And so I wonder if it's my skills deteriorating, my eyes getting bad, my hands getting slower, or if it might have a little bit to do with how these extra layers of gameplay have kind of been added on over the years. And me not having the time I used to have to be able to play it, to be able to sort of acquiesce with them mm-hmm.
1: i mean that makes sense i mean i don't know which way it'll break you know once it will only know once it, once it comes out i can see it having you know a really good couple first weeks and then we'll see if it holds the attention of anybody beyond the hardcore or if the hardcore abandon it right by thinking it's not you know interesting enough for them and the casual kind of the, the mainstream players stay which still makes it a pretty big success or if everybody just sort of stops playing it because they're tired right. of it, after a few weeks of you know Basically vanilla shooter gameplay, which I feel like probably won't happen that way, just because if it, if the gameplay is good, if it's I mean, it's not like you know stuff like Counter Strike or Team Fortress are like you know amazing uh, complex modern games, but people still play them you know in vast vast numbers because they're fun, yeah, because they like them, yeah, and because they've got that many hats to show people, yeah. So um, you know, I, I think I think they can do it, but will they do it? and can they do it are two different questions.
0: I think this is a really important game for Activision because I think yeah. it will finally tell it
1: what the deal is with the franchise.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it will figure out, okay, what is what is the problem here? Why are we leaking users over the mm-hmm. last few years? Um, once you go back to a setting like this, I think they'll know whether it's the setting or not or whether it was the gameplay. In all honesty, I think a big part of it is just matchmaking. Like, they just need to figure out a way... To get people of equal skill levels playing against each other um, it's just it's the eternal issue with online first person shooters is matchmaking. Mm. It seems like we have all these technological advances and that's one thing that never seems to get fixed is being able to play with people who are on your skill level and they've tried so many different things to do it like they have the leagues in Call of Duty where you play like the three placement matches to kind of get but the problem is is that you're kind of sucked into this whole Esports ecosystem that maybe you don't want to be a part of it's like I just want to be able to play the regular multiplayer mode that's there that everyone else is playing against people who are around the same skill level as I am And
1: uh, it just what are you what are you laughing at the chat is only talking about your hat Oh Um, In part because they want to know why you're wearing a hat but also because when you look this way you can only see USSY.
0: that was that was the whole plan (laughs) I'm never gonna turn my head far enough so you can see what it actually says I'm just gonna leave it like I'm gonna leave you wondering <laughs> this is my Donald Trump hat. <laughs> this is the new "Make America Great Again" hat. <laughs> uh, I don't. I'm the, I am wearing a hat today because I was so busy today, I did not get a chance to take a shower. So, <laughs> I'm sure everyone here was very glad to hear that. Wild style haircut going on here. Yeah. So, uh, and I just felt like being casual today as well. Just thus the T-shirt. So, um, I, uh, I'm trying to keep an open mind towards this, Matt. To be honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not overly enthused about it to be honest I feel like what we got out of Battlefield 1 Was enough For me to kind of get that taste of old school Flavor while still having kind of something that felt New and fresh as well And I'm just wondering if with the lack Of vehicles and sort of the other things you get from the Battlefield franchise if That's going to work here
1: I don't know It's going to It's As they said in uh, God which game was that One of the Street Fighters it all depends on your skill. Go for broke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, I think Sledgehammer is going to have to do that because we've never seen Sledgehammer take on this era before. And I will say, Sledgehammer's last Call of Duty was great. Yeah, like I really enjoyed it. Like they, it's
0: kind of turned into the best developer of the Call of Duty franchise at this point, which I never thought I'd say. Because I wasn't particularly enthused with mm-hmm. Treyarch's last effort.
1: So, so I mean, as pe- as people you know who have. Uh, You know, Sledgehammer as people who have, you know, obviously seen and played the old World War II Call of Duties and other games, you know, in the same genre, uh, but have never made one themselves. I think they probably have a pretty good handle on what's been done, what worked, what didn't work. They don't have personal investment in what did work or didn't work in those other games, and maybe they'll be able to just kind of distill that down to what they think should be put and how it should be handled in a modern call of duty taking into account all these years of non-world war ii games and how far they've advanced and in some cases how far they've progressed and if it all doesn't work at least we've still got nazi zombies
0: that's right we didn't even mention that nazi zombies the the original zombies coming back interesting that treyarch has given the blessing to allow them to do
1: it yeah, I mean, it's kind of a staple of the franchise now, I guess. I, well,
0: I mean, z- zombies definitely is. But, you know, Nazi zombies, that's what started it all. Yeah. It was the absurdity of it, and people were like, What? Really? We're going to shoot Nazi
1: zombies? It makes me wonder who's going to be in it. Right. Like, like you know, because usually they've had famous historical figures, or they've had celebrities or something. It makes me wonder, like, do you get celebrities, or do you, or do you get, like... Like, if it was me, I would get, I would try to license the likeness rights of uh, classic, like, World War II movie stars. Like, I get, like, John Wayne and and Jimmy Stewart and, like, stuff like that. Look, they've done stuff like that before. It's
0: not, like, out of the question
1: at all. Audie Audie Murphy. And, like, I, I would, like, load it up with, like, you know, people who starred in World War II movies back in, like, the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And, like, no, I know no one would know who that was now, but, like, you could do some some really cool stuff with
0: Oh, that. for sure. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the average age of the gamer right now is 35. Yeah. Um, they're not I mean, we, know, a, we know who
1: John Wayne is. Probably not too many, maybe not as many know who Audie Murphy is, who was yeah. actually a World War II hero. Right. And yeah. then later a Western. And wasn't
0: a, John Wayne in the military as well? He
1: was in the military, but I, he wasn't, uh, like, you know, he wasn't Audie Murphy. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> who, who held off an entire battalion of Germans by himself, wounded in a tank. That's insane. <laughs> uh, and then went on to do uh, a movie where he played himself and his own the own his own story, and they cut out a bunch of parts of it because he didn't think anyone would believe it. Wow, he was he was uh, a, something of a superhero on the battlefield.
0: Well, you know what? Sometimes I like when games bring in people that people don't know about because yeah. a lot of times it'll
1: cause them to go. And do a little research and actually learn something. Yeah. Imagine that. Learning something from a game. Yeah. It's like, yeah, John Wayne and this could con- convince you to go watch The Longest Day. You know, <laughs> Even you know, if they're
0: know. just shooting Nazi zombies. Yeah, okay, so
1: Audie Murphy, um, yeah, we'll get Audie Murphy and we'll get John Wayne and we'll get um, uh, uh, oh no, I forgot. how can I possibly forget the guy who played Patton? Oh. Something Oswald? No. No. I can't remember his, his name. I'm blanking on his name. A very famous actor whose name George C. Scott. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> and those, those those will be who we. Who you mean are. like from Saving Private Saving Ryan. Private Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> so those will be your four zombie characters. Why have they never made a Saving Private Ryan game? Well, they kind of did. It was called Medal of Honor. Yeah. I mean, DreamWorks and Spielberg were involved in. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, yeah. I believe originally going to be called Finest Hour. Oh. Because I mean actually if you think about it, like all the campaigns really for
0: old school like middle, war yeah. base shooters, or well, they The
1: especially Medal of Honor Allied Assault were basically saving Private Ryan the yeah. game. Um Actually, my favorite of those, uh, of the PlayStation 1 era ones, was the Medal of Honor Underground. Yeah, I think a lot of people would say that. But, uh, Medal are, of Honor used to have a really good reputation. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, and then they the tried time, to revive it. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, like in the late 90s, when it was a PlayStation 1 game, like... Uh, there was almost nothing with that kind of sound, lo- sound oh, quality. Right. I mean, yep. the sound in those games was was a, a whole other level from what you were used to at the that time.
0: That was one of those days where I thanked the CD-ROM medium. Yes. I was like, oh, yes. this is a big difference.
1: But also because they were using basically the same sound equipment and sound mixers they were using for DreamWorks films. Yeah. Because DreamWorks was really trying to do games at the time. Yeah, And uh, that didn't last no, no, it didn't. particularly long. It wasn't but, very uh, successful either. No, but they got they made a couple of good, good ones. And... uh Spielberg is a big gamer. Too. He is, yeah.
0: Uh, so we'll get more on multiplayer at E3. Uh, that's what it's been saying. It'll be the big blowout for World War II. Are they going to be? Are they on the floor this year? They do have a booth, yeah. yeah. But you know how Activision is. They don't actually. Oh, it's just a key- monolith. Like, yeah. It's a big room that you can't see into, right. and only the journalists get to go in and oh, yeah. actually play. But yeah, they will have a booth. Its uh, main function on the floor is to block your view of other things. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but we'll get much more on this E3, which, believe it or not, is just like six weeks away or something yeah. crazy. I can't believe how fast it's coming up. I think it's like 40, 42 days. Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, so that's coming up quick, and this will definitely be one of the bigger games. Games, and probably one of the bigger uh, debuts will be Call of Duty multiplayer. Everyone's going to be waiting with bated breath to see what they're going to do. So we'll have more on it soon. But for now, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about 343 finally admitting that they totally have screwed up the Halo franchise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you see it this week? Yeah, I saw some of that. Poor Frank. Yeah, Frank O'Connor. Yeah, yeah he's
0: the one who has. He's like the middleman between the studio and the fans. Yeah. So he has to take all the.
1: Heat from the Halo fans. I did. I've, I've been uh, collecting old video game magazines recently, and uh, I did end up picking up a couple of. Uh... Because video Games Computer Entertainment eventually became Video Games' ultimate gaming magazine. Yeah. And later in that magazine's life, like two years in, uh, Frank was the editor-in-chief. Yeah. And there's a couple of photos of young baby Frank O'Connor, and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> Wasn't it he also, like, the head of Xbox magazine? Later, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. That was, I mean, that was, that was where player.
1: I knew him from. I didn't remember that he was in video. Because... Um, Chris Gore was the one who was the editor in chief on video games that went after it stopped being VGNC. Right. Yeah. And like it's like oh I, and like reading through them, I am like oh, I know all these people now. Yeah, they're
0: all like just <laughs> like, my friends yeah. now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But uh, I think Frank O'Connor was kind of the first journalist to jump over the fence and work for a developer. At least certainly was,
1: the biggest, highest profile case. He was at the, the first
0: time. one that like people wrote stories about. Yeah, like, like wait, this a minute. guy used like, to work. Didn't he work for IGN for a while too? I don't remember if he worked for IGN. I thought I maybe he did for a while, but... I should
1: have brought his resume. But,
0: I, yeah, but I do remember he was, like, the first big story as far as, yeah. like... And ever since then, everyone just accuses
1: all the people. not just because he jumped to game development, because he jumped to Halo. Right, he went you to Bungie. It, it was, like, that was a big... You know, the idea that you could jump from, like, game journalism to like a little de- like development so like that was one thing but like the idea you could jump to the 800 pound gorilla of video games from that That was not only
0: that too you know in the end when Bungie kind of split ways with Microsoft he went with Microsoft yeah he didn't stay with Bungie and work on Destiny like he went to the mothership
1: which probably is a smart move yeah I mean probably Halo's gonna stick around for yeah, quite some time. Yeah, I mean, it's good just, or not, or
0: just getting a job at Microsoft. I yeah. mean, you know the benefits and the you know the, the Bungie, job security.
1: Bungie, Bungie stayed up there, up in they the did. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, their offices are still there. I don't know if they ever built new ones though. That was one of the studios that I visited. That I was. Unpleasantly surprised at their <laughs> at their offices. The first time I went to Bungie, I expected to go in there and just be like blown away They'd by like it.
1: Ion the Storm two. Yeah, mm. and it
0: was just this grungy little building, kind of in mm. this strip mall type area. I yeah, was like, it's basically really? Where,
1: they were, where Microsoft stuck them when they bought them?
0: Yeah, I was like, really? I'm walking into Bungie. These guys make Halo, and you yeah. went in their o- and you know, I I think I had just come back from Japan where I had checked out the offices where they make Gran Turismo, yeah. which is yeah. on the opposite end of the oh, spectrum.
1: Yeah. like With, like, elevators that bring cars into in, the cubicle into area. Into the cubicle like, area. They have, yeah. like,
0: lifts that will bring a car down so the artist can sit there and, like, draw the yeah. car. It's insane. And, I mean They had a
1: whole room that was just massage chairs.
0: Yeah, but they also <laughs> have, like, the Japanese stuff where they have, like, uh, these portals that people could sleep in at work. Right. And they're basically Although just... Well most of them slept under
1: their desks. They did. Like, right. you could see where they had, like, blankets and stuff wadded up underneath their desks. But these... Well, when we were there, I don't know if we're talking about the same trip, but, like... No, because you we, we, we never went to Japan together, I don't think. No, we did. 2007, maybe? Yeah, we went once, I believe, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I remember when when I went in 2003, because we would... I think we, we took turns, basically. Like, yeah. You went one year, I went yeah, to Japan. Yeah, yeah, we day. did do that, yeah. And, um... Because they only needed one game nerd at a time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like um but i we we did we went to see uh, polyphony uh in 2003 and there was everyone every there at one point during the tour i like, oh and please be quiet because there's people sleeping and we're like what? And we like look under all the every desk had a sleeping man <laughs> under it. It was amazing. And think
0: about that. They never, And I believe
1: it was probably the same they were probably still working on the same Gran Turismo when you went and saw them years yeah, later. Yeah.
0: They uh, and they knew the press was coming too. Yeah. yeah, And care. still they're sleeping underneath the desk. It, it, it they had cars to model. I think that was yeah exactly. I think that was one of those moments where I was like I'm never going to get into game development. This yeah. just looks like no fun to me whatsoever. Well, he's not there. Yeah. I mean <laughs> on, I think but you know that's a big studio with big budgets and i was like if this yeah. is what the best get i don't know if i want to deal with it. i mean i it don't know if things have gotten better obviously, i don't know but
1: i mean I I, maybe i don't know i haven't yeah. been out there in forever but like i don't know i was a, i've been a bungee fan since you know the marathon days yeah on the mac or pathways in the darkness actually or was was the first bungee game i played on the on the mac lc3 back in 1995 four four Something i think like yeah like it was uh, that in Mar- the original marathon, so yeah, uh, old 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 school Bungie fan. Um, glad they're still around, but uh, hope Destiny Two is a little more marathon too than uh, yeah. I'd agree with that than Destiny. Was. Let's get
0: back to Halo, so that we didn't really talk about yeah. what the whole this whole topic is about, which is that. 343 now admits that it made a huge mistake in not making Master Chief the centerpiece of Halo 5. Mm. So I don't know if you remember or not, there was like the whole Locke thing. Oh, they put I remember. Out, they put out like, so this trailer that we're I seeing... I had to go through it. Yeah, this trailer that we're seeing right now, they made two versions of this. One where Master Chief walks right. up on Locke, and then one where Locke walks up on Master
1: Chief. And it never happens.
0: Yeah, it doesn't actually happen <laughs> in the game at all. Um but I think the, the thing that has been left with people after playing Halo 5 is that it just didn't really feel like a Halo game because you're not playing as... I think you probably play as Master Chief,
1: what, 55% of the game? Oh, not not, not close, even, not even really. close. It's, yeah, like two, it's right. two levels. Oh, that's right. You play as Master Chief, I think, in two levels out of... What is it? Like 10 or 12 or something? And two of the levels are just lock walking around talking to people in like, right. that stupid camp.
0: Yep. How do you... Develop a game like this with that kind of a budget, that kind of a QA team, that kind of a budget for focus testing
1: to talk to fans mm. and create a game that doesn't focus on the star of the franchise. I don't know. I also don't know how you make keep making you make two Halo games and don't understand that the whole this whole weird plot you have surrounding Cortana is not interesting. Yeah. Um Cortana was always just a bit player. I don't understand why they've tried to make her into this major player in the franchise. I mean, she's, she's always been sort of your sidekick, right. sort of. It's and like making a
0: whole game about Navi she's, from she's Zelda. The, right, she's there for exposition,
1: <laughs> she's there for comedy relief, she's there to kind of be Master Chief's foil yeah. and bounce stuff back and forth, and there's some nice moments between them in the original trilogy. For sure, that like, yeah.
0: Some heart-touching moments. But yeah. it
1: just, it's not, and again... Uh, If you are going to focus on that, the emotional core of the Cortana character is her relationship with Chief. So why are you marginalizing Chief? Yeah. The biggest problem with Halo 5, aside from the fact that it continually makes you fight the Prometheans again, uh, which is some of the most boring enemies in shooter history, is that the entire story is Act 1. Yeah. Like, the end of Halo 5 should have been, like, the end of Mission 3. No, you're right. And then it should have continued It's like nothing happens, pretty much. No, it's like... And the whole time, it's like... You know, Master Chief is doing what he needs to do to deal with this Cortana thing, and then Lock. You're playing mostly as Locke and uh, uh, Team Osiris chasing after him, and every 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 level's like, oh, he was here. But now he's not. Now we got to deal with these Prometheans. And finally you catch it. Like, the game should have been called Halo 5 a day late and a dollar short. Like you're, you're constantly <laughs> you're <new> like, <laughs> five feet behind him. And it's like, yeah. and it's like nothing happens. Yeah, nothing like it's, really does happen. Yeah.
0: It moves really slowly. And it's not an especially long game either. No.
1: And it's like in comparison to like the old Halo games where even if you didn't quite understand what the hell the grave Mind was or why the flood were here again or what was going on in that regard, at least it moved. At least it, yeah. it's exciting stuff happened and things occurred. Whereas like in this one it's like, well... Better kill that Promethean again. Yeah. Wait for his head to pop out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that got awesome.
1: And then, like, you know, one of the other fun things about Halo was always, like, you know, throwing grenades or doing a, you know, you saw grunts fly out of here, like crazy physics stuff happened, but the Prometheans disintegrate. Yeah. So you don't even get that satisfaction. Yeah, you don't get that visceral payoff. So, I mean, they're definitely right when they say that, like, oh, Master Chief is important and we understand that now. But I hope they don't think that's the only problem there, because right. it, it, like the, the, the the problems with the storytelling in Halo 5 go straight down to the bone. Well, it also lost its t- its
0: tone. It's like yeah. Halo kind of always had this cheeky comedy to it. Um, a lot of the enemies that you fought would say stuff that would mm-hmm. make you laugh in the middle of an insane battle. You're like laughing. Like, wart, you don't... Wart, wart. Yeah, I mean, you don't get that <laughs> in any other shooter, and that was a unique selling proposition for Halo, mm-hmm. and it's it got away from that as well. There's little bits of it, but... That was something that used to permeate the whole Mm -hmm. experience. Like, it was always having... There's that balance of that and, like, kind of the epicness. Yeah, and I feel like it just... These are are all no-brainers to me, by the way, Matt. These are things that, to me, should have been immediately obvious to anybody Mm -hmm. making a new Halo game. I mean, the fact that they're now like, oh, now we realize that we should have made a game that focused on Master Chief. No shit, Sherlock. Like, I just... It's baffling to me, like I said when we first started talking about this, that... You can have this much money, this many people, access to this many fans, this many years of
1: franchise history to look at and analyze, and that was the result. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of the uh, same conundrum you have with Destiny. It's like you have almost unlimited funds, unlimited—you know, you're, you're, it's Bungie. They can make whatever the hell they want. They can do whatever the hell they want, and they made a basically a Halo mod with. All the worst parts of MMOs. No, you're right. Like, yeah. like, how does that happen? You know, and there's rumors about it having to be rebuilt and rushed and whatever. But it's like, and the story turned out. Obviously, the way the story turned out. But it's like, you know, it's it, it's almost like it's in their DNA. It's yeah. it's like it's like why why would those be the lessons you take from 15 years of MMO development when you're trying to apply it to this model you've already perfected? Why why would three four three look at what's come before in the Halo trilogy and ODST and Reach and think? Well, the, obviously the answer here is, I mean, it reminds me of uh, the Hobbit movies, yeah. where they're trying to make them as big and bombastic and epic as, you know, this Lord of the Rings, where it was like, you're taking the most powerful object in the world to the scariest place on Earth to save the entire planet from evil, and in The Hobbit, a bunch of dwarves are trying to go home. And you can't make that as big as that. Whereas, you know, and and Halo 5 kind of wants to be a personal story about Master Chief's quest to f- find his friend. But we never get to spend any time with him doing that. So we don't know why he's doing it, what he's, you know, it, it's very vague as to what's happening there. And, and it's like, I guess the motivation was supposed to be, oh, you want to find out what's going on with Chief and Cortana. So that's going to motivate you as Locke and the, Os- the Osiris team to, you know, catch up to them. But... No. That's not, how That's not how this works.
0: works. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, one interesting thing I would say is I am wondering if a lot of these games are being developed thinking about their the financial angle of the game first. They're thinking about how the game can drive revenue. When we were setting up to shoot Pactor Factor this past weekend, and I was
1: just kind of shooting the shit with Pack, he he brought up the pre or post rant. This was pre rant. <laughs> And, uh, you haven't seen Factor Factor yet. Go load that thing up. There's he, some. There's some angry pack. Yeah, he, he, well, it's <laughs> funny. He, every time,
0: uh, anecdotally, before we shoot, he always asks me. So, like, what's the feedback? Because he doesn't go on like mm-hmm. YouTube and read comments and stuff like that. So he's always asked, like, how's the show being received, and what are the comments <laughs> like? And so I'll tell him, like, one of the common comments is they want you to be back in Put the office. Put Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and so I tell him, like, what people are saying, and then that first episode of every batch of, of shows, mm-hmm. he kind of vents. And, yeah. then it, and then you'll see every episode, it kind of dwindles out until the last mm-hmm. one, he's back to, like, happy pack again. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. But anyway, before we were shooting this episode, we always just kind of talk as everything's getting set up. And the one thing he mentioned is how games are starting to shift away from season passes. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: he said that he was talking to someone from 343 when he was at DICE this year, and he asked them about, you know, how they kind of went away from a season pass. And basically what they said was that what they had found was that when you have a season pass, you launch your game, and for the first month or two, everything's great, everyone's online playing. And then they said, as soon as you release that first map pack for DLC, you lose people. Because And, and then mm. some people buy it, some don't. And then you release the second one. And then some people buy it and some don't. And so they felt like the season pass model was actually hurting them in the long run financially because... The most important thing you want is to keep people in the ecosystem, because if they're doing that, then they're buying crap.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: buying... Especially in a game that has, like, the, the, the loot crate the rec packs. like yeah. they have. Yeah, exactly. So they're they're playing a long game. They're saying, look, we want to keep people engaged with Halo 5 for the whole year, or for a year and mm-hmm. a half, or for two years. And when you release these map packs that are cutting off a part of your, your audience every time you release one, after you get to, like, the third one and the season pass ends you're down to like a quarter of the players that you have when you launch the game. And so you're only selling your DLC and your cosmetics to 25% of your user base. Whereas if you make all the map packs free, people stay engaged. I don't know if you remember or not, but like for months after Halo 5 launched, we kept getting these reports saying we made $250 million this month on packs, Uh And it just kept going and going and going. And so over the long haul, it totally worked out for 343 and Microsoft to ditch the season pass Mm -hmm. and just give all the maps away for free. And you see, like, some developers and publishers are learning from this. Respawn did the same thing with Titanfall 2. What's your response to this, Blizzard? Duh. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) exactly. They get it. and But but a lot of people don't. Like, I just saw season passes announced for a bunch of stuff. We're going to actually talk about a season pass for a game here in a little bit that didn't get it the first time, and now the next game from this publisher isn't getting it this time. Mm So... I think that's a better model. But that's what I think is happening, though, is that they're building these games thinking about the revenue model first. Like, when PAX said that to me, at first it didn't even really hit me the genius of what they're doing. The first thing I thought to myself was, why are they thinking so hard about how they're going to make money on DLC? You know, as a as a player paying 60 bucks for a game, you want them to be focused 100% on just making that game as great to play as possible. But I feel like they're kind of starting, they're almost... Doing it in reverse, they're saying, "Okay, how can we make sure that this game is financially successful first, and then
1: how do we make sure that this game is fun to play over the long haul?" So, ideally, you have different people asking those questions. Yeah, you got people ideally put, making, the, making the game, making it good, and people over here thinking, "Okay, how do we sell this?" Right. Yeah. Um. Because I feel like Halo kind of sold itself back in the day. It did, yeah. And uh, it didn't, you know. I think the rec pack thing is. Um, I find it annoying uh, because it's not just cosmetic stuff. It's stuff that makes you more effective at the game. Yeah, it does. Um, whereas Overwatch is, is purely cosmetic. But that, but that's another case where they're thinking about
0: revenue ahead mm. of the gameplay. That's, I mean, that actually kind of backs up my argument because in
1: that case they're saying... Oh, I'm not saying that that's because... the model Halo's going to work under. Right, right. I'm just saying ideally, you, ideally the people who have to make the game good and fun are not the ones you're tasking to think about what's going to make it successful. Right. Beyond being good and fun.
0: Right, but you're talking about DLC that unbalances the game, essentially. It makes Mm -hmm. it unfair unless you're willing to spend money. And And get
1: lucky, because you're not even guaranteed guaranteed
0: that. Yeah, and so that's a case of them reverse engineering game development and starting with the revenue model Mm -hmm. instead of worrying about just making it a great game that's fun to play. Um, It's interesting just watching... This industry evolve over the last decade. Just one, to start having DLC and expansion packs for console games, which is something that PC gamers enjoyed, but console gamers didn't for forever. And then, I mean, they're still struggling to figure out, like, how do they monetize this stuff without pissing off their fans? So, it's to me it's good to see they're going back to Master Chief with Halo. Uh, it seems stupid that they ever
1: went away from him in the first place. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I just hope they get off this Like, whatever, the story that they have been laboring to tell for two games now and just move on. I
0: don't think they can, though, Matt. They're neck deep in it now. They they (laughs) could
1: solve the plot, they could get basically the, the. the the climax of the Cortana story they're trying to tell could be the first two levels of this game. You're right, and then they can move on to some other thing that happens in the aftermath. They can do but it in a damn trailer. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, get Chief and Cortana back to back to where they were. You know, maybe Cortana is more expanded or smarter now. I don't know what the hell all her rampancy stuff is. But I mean, that comes from the Marathon games, and it's not handled in Halo remotely as well as the Marathon did in text boxes in 1995. But like. Um, you know, just get on with it. Like, have you know, give us you know, classic Halo with Chief and and Cortana. And I mean, if that's what you, they think is going to solve the problem, do that. Give us a good news story. Give us some enemies that are not the goddamn Prometheans. And you know, let Halo play to its strengths, which is just open areas, vehicle stuff, great co-op enemy AI, play, good enemy AI, yeah. fun with physics, like the, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, stuff that they've basically stripped out of it by making it like a long. Corridor, corridor march against dissolving enemies. Yeah, you know? that's essentially what it's become. So think we'll see it at E3, Halo Six. I feel like they need it. You think so? At least like a little indication that it's coming. I mean it's probably coming it's probably next, next year. Yeah, next year but next it's like, holiday season. I feel like at the very least, you know, when you're in, in your press conference where you're trying to push Scorpio for whatever god ungodly amount of money you're gonna charge for that. Um like you gotta show me what Halo's gonna look like. I, I mean even if it's just like a little you know that so little, early. Yeah, but I mean they ran like that Halo 3 trailer real early. Yeah, they did. So uh I mean we we're getting Halo 3 trailers 2 years out. So they could they could do it. I mean it, it might be like pre-rendered in engine or something, but at, le- at least give us a taste of what Halo's going to look like on this new machine.
0: Yeah, I I'd say it's fifty-fifty on whether we see Yeah, I don't think it's guaranteed going to. I will all. say they're not going to show gameplay of no, it at no. all. But I'm sure gameplay it, doesn't exist yet. We may get a teaser trailer or something along those lines. I think they'll get
1: a teaser like on the, along the lines of the Halo 3 one where he walks to the side of the crater and the, the ship flies out right. of it. and like in A whole lot know, of nothing, he's, basically. Yeah, he's wearing the, the poncho and it's like, oh, it's Master Chief wearing a poncho over his space <laughs> armor. armor. It's like, <laughs> for what? Like mystery it's like oh if i put this on i'll look like glenn eastwood like it's like <laughs> that's the only possible explanation for yeah. like you do this doesn't it doesn't get cold it's a self-contained environment yeah yeah i think they're just trying to create some mystery there
0: is it oh, master man. chief like why is he wearing who it? is it is it even master chief this time right yeah well it ended up it wasn't yeah <laughs> uh so hopefully they'll maybe be a little more straightforward this time and give the people what they want yeah. it's really an easy equation you give the
1: fans what they want what they ask for you just give it to yeah. them the only way you can get away with not doing that is being Nintendo
0: yeah <laughs> pretty much you just look yes you, you ask the fans what they want and you just do the opposite it seems yeah. a lot of times so we, uh, we sh- I think we'll probably see a look at Halo 6 uh, I can't even believe Halo's up to six by the way oh, up to more than that like when I was but I'm saying like six mainline games right. you know I, when I was typing up like our rundown for their show today I typed the six and I was like wow. And to me, Halo is like a late franchise. You know, it's one—it's a new franchise. Yeah, when you play games... Halo, I,
1: Halo can drive its own warthog now. I know.
0: <laughs> it's insane, man. It really is. Uh, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Uh, you guys know Matt's a huge fighting game player. I less so, but still enjoy fighters and, and play them when I can. Um, finally getting some details on this game... After kind of just having to deal
1: with the trailer, or yeah, two. I missed most of this because I've have just started to tune out all Marvel chatter because no information comes out. It's yeah. just people talking about what what characters they want and how X Men can X Men is X Men characters are not going to be in this game, people. Like, why I'm, do you think I, that? Uh, because they aren't. I promise you. Like, they they are not being promoted by Marvel uh, as long as Fox still has the movie license. Mm. That's, That's interesting. So this this game will not have X Men characters in it. I guarantee you. Which is a shame. Yeah, I mean that, the prior games that, in the series had them. I mean you know there's a lot of staples in there. Uh, it annihilates two thirds of uh, Justin Wong's traditional team, which is Storm, Wolverine, Akuma. Right, right. Um, no Sentinel. Yeah. Um, like there's there's some real mainstays uh, in in the Marvel Marvel vs. Capcom lineup that uh, removing the X Men will you know. We'll neuter it a little bit. It's gonna be. It's basically gonna be Avengers versus Capcom. Yeah, I mean that's what it seems to be shaping up. But um, so I would not. Ex- I would not expect to see any X Men characters. I would not expect to see any um, Fantastic Four, uh, which also, you know, again, uh, no Deadpool. Uh, is a, is a big deal too yeah. I would say because Deadpool was I mean Deadpool was not a competitive character in tournaments or anything but I think a lot of people really liked him Yeah they like playing game. with him
0: for sure he's different you know yeah.
1: he's he's kind of the anti-hero of Marvel But uh unless something has just drastically changed internally um there will probably be no X-Men in this game
0: Um so one of the things that's kind of come out over the last week is that they're trying to make this game palatable to the casual player mm-hmm. How do you feel about that,
1: Matt? I mean, I assume that means they're just going to put in like some kind of like automatic kind of, you know, like they did with Capcom versus SNK, the EO mode, right? Um, where it just you, know, you can automatically trigger combos or like sort of, or maybe even something like. Uh, uh, what they did in what they're doing in uh, Ultra Street Fighter Two Turbo on the Switch, where like the corners of the touchscreen in a certain auto mode, like you can just trigger the special moves. Yep. Um It's it's just stuff like that. Those those have been around in fighting games for uh, almost over fifteen years now. So it does, I'm, it won't be something that affects tournament play. It won't be something you know that that ruins the online experience. It's you know. You don't it, think? I don't think. You so. You don't think if people can pull off like crazy combos
0: pushing a single button you don't think that has any no, impact
1: cuz generally there's some kind of like limitation on it like it's it's
0: I think what they were saying though is that they're thinking about sort of pulling back on those filters so to speak and just kind of creating one ecosystem for the game where casuals can be as competitive as people who I just don't believe that's
1: going to be true yeah. like it's just It would be either. dumb. Mar- First off, <laughs> Marvel technology you know in terms of te- technology meaning like Combos and and game strategies and stuff. Marvel technology evolves by the day, some yeah. th- especially early on. I mean, I was I was not not kidding because we had the early copy of, the, of the, the last game. I was actually one of the better Marvel Marvel vs. Capcom three players around when the game first came out. Mm-hmm. I, I did okay at some of those tournaments, and within a week. I was nothing. Yeah, I, was, I mean, just <laughs> just people figured everything out, and uh, you know, basically, I went from winning a match against Alex Valle to uh, yeah, I'm just not gonna, losing to the bother. guy on the bottom yeah, of the ladder. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, not that anybody, you know, in that community, like you know, was like, oh, you're not good enough to play with us anymore. Like, everybody's super supportive and willing to help. But I just don't have the time to to put in to become that good. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, it's it's more than just being able to do a special move. It's about Knowing the intricacies of how to use those moves and how to use your normals and how to use your positioning and how to you know to to juggle people for ninety hundred something hit combo. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, it's it's it might affect, I guess, your online experience if like you're playing on like my level or lower. But I, it's not going to affect pro play, and it's probably only going to make it better for people who don't really know how to play fighting games. I'm I'm fine with it. It's a, I I the, the day I see someone using an automatic mode like that or something like that to to beat, like, a real pro player is, I mean, only in the sense that it's, like, it's really hard to play poker against someone who doesn't know how to play poker because you don't know what they're going to do next. Right, yeah. Um, That's probably not going to be a factor in a tournament situation. Yeah. So that's what people, I think, are mostly worried about. And I don't think that's an issue. Really, I mean, it makes sense, especially for this game, because, like, you want this to be a mainstream hit. Oh, yeah. Because... It's got it Marvel in it. mainstream potential because yeah. the Marvel movies are so big now there's no reason not to try to drag people in and you're already seeing... Like, yeah, I mean, it's well, Thor, it maybe, Thor in a fighting game. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe Ultron is not the greatest choice um, just because of the fact that, like, you know, Age of Ultron is not the most well-loved movie in the series, but, like, look, I mean, look at the footage they're showing. It's all the Avengers. It's, it's Yeah. That's what they're at, and I'm guarantee they'll be, you know... Guardians of the Galaxy in here. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, probably Rocket. will be back. You think so? I think. I think we'll see. Uh, the very least, we'll probably see Rocket back, and maybe with. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Star Lord. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. It's uh, Winter Soldier. Big franchise. Winter now. Soldier. Um, yeah. Vision. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, they talked uh, a lot about... Uh, well, actually, probably get Spider-Man. Spider-Man's back back home now, sort of, with the joint deal. So we'll, we'll see Spider-Man. I know uh, they had an interview where they talked about how they had um, Dr. Octopus basically up and running for Marvel 3 uh, with theme music composed. Either. Really? Like they, they, Dr. Octopus was ready to go, and they just couldn't get... Uh, basically, like, apparently all the tentacle, everything moving at once with the tentacles and stuff, like, bogged Just the game, killed, brain, but yeah, killed the frame rate, so I they couldn't it. do it. But now I would bet they'd bring him back for this. It's um, gonna be interesting, I mean, it's nice to see Mega Man X, I mean, obviously, uh, people were requested. he was on the list for three, got cut, never came back, people requested him constantly. Rumor swirling today about a Mega Man Legacy Collection 2. Today. Yeah, I saw that, like, it was like, rated in Korea yeah, or something. Yeah, South well, Korea. I, I feel like that's probably just going to be 7, 8, 9, and 10. Probably. But, like, it would be nice if it was something I cared about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, I haven't been a big fan of the the modern Mega Man games. I I would get a Mega Man
1: X Legacy Collection. Oh, sure. Because I I actually think, with the exception of Mega Man 2, I think those games are better than the NES games. Agreed. So, Um, actually, the big thing everyone's
0: talking about with Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is that, They've announced sort of how the season pass and the rollout plan is going to work for it. And it is
1: literally like a mirror image of Street Fighter V. Well, hopefully this one actually works, though. What do you mean by works? Well, Street Fighter V had a lot of connection issues and a lot of... It, it was not a smooth launch, let's put it that way. Um, and they didn't have anything ready. You know, the story mode didn't exist yet. But when see, that's what the they're game.
0: talking about, is that this game is going to have a rollout of features that you would expect to have on mm. the game
1: the day that you buy the game well then that's stupid it, it is yes if, if they're going to do that again like and you're trying to appeal to casual people casual people don't know what street fighter 5 did they don't understand how episodic rollout content works necessarily and you are just getting people that pay full price for a game and then take it home and are like where's the game
0: right and I mean they basically if you look at the plan that they have for this game it is almost identical to what I And mean, if they launch the game without
1: site, a story mode in on day 1 they're idiots. Like, yeah. is that simple?
0: It they are. It is that's what the graphics has fooled me twice. It's like the first time we we knew about it before Street Fighter 5 mm. launched and I had faith. I was like it's Street Fighter there's no way Capcom is gonna screw up one of its flagship franchises and do something like and then As did. a Resident
1: Evil fan you should know better than that.
0: Yeah. That's a good point actually.
1: <laughs> but Street Fighter to me is a sacred beast. Like we would have thought the same of Mega Man a few years ago.
0: Eh. I don't know. I don't know. What's we would the, not
1: have thought the same as Street Fighter pre two thousand eight.
0: What's the first game that comes to your mind when someone says Capcom? Mega Man. Is it Mega Man? See yeah. for me it's Street Fighter.
1: I mean huh. Street Fighter is probably the other answer. Yeah. Um But I think you know, I think most the vast majority of people would say Mega Man Street Fighter or Resident Evil. Yeah. Those are your big Capcom games. For me, it's was, always
0: been Street Fighter.
1: Uh, Mega Man. My Mega Man days predate my Street Fighter days. Basically, I, didn't, I never played Street Fighter One, so no. uh, not. Well, you're not uh, alone
0: in that. Most people did. No, I it. mean, but you know, I was
1: I was 11 <laughs> when it came out, and it just was too. It was too complicated for yeah. me, and I didn't. And also, when you play it now, it's actually super clunky and weird. Uh-huh. Uh, so I didn't play Street Fighter until Street Fighter Two came out. When it was 1991, and I was already a Mega Man fan of five years by then. Um, so, I think, yeah, when Capcom comes up, I think generally Mega Man. Uh, that probably should stop, because they haven't been the Mega Man company for a very long well, time. Well, I mean, if
0: you look at the debut trailer for this, who does it focus on? Yeah, true. <laughs> so, it's not just you. I mean, I think Capcom feels like uh, Mega Man's one of his bigger mm-hmm. mascots
1: as well. Um, but what do you think will now happen? Iron Man is... It will never, as a, as a comic fan from way back, it will never... Like, mildly stunned me to see Iron Man heading, like, headlining the Marvel Universe. That's yeah. amazing. It me. really is amazing because he was kind of a bit character. He was for nobody. Really? My, I my know. whole life growing up, the Avengers were nobody. I know. And. All of a sudden, everything, it shows what a great job, job they did with yeah, the films. They, I mean, I,
0: they made him into a character everyone can oh, resonate with. There's
1: tons. I mean, I had never read. A, I think I've said this before, but I've never. I had never read a solo Iron Man comic in my life until the Robert Downey Jr. movie came out. I had. I had read a bunch of them, but I'd I never read, really like, liked him. No, like, he was no. He's not. Well, because the other thing is, uh, before Robert Downey Jr. played him. Iron Man was not funny. No, huh? Tony Stark is not a funny man. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's always been kind of a—he's been a dick. and yeah. he's been an alcoholic, and he's been sort of a billionaire playboy guy. But he has never been funny. He was never snarky and witty. That was Hawkeye's job, and that, by the way, is why Hawkeye in the movies has nothing to do. Right, <laughs> because he takes Iron like Man what he's took his to job. Doing,
0: you're right. <laughs> That's funny. So looking at Street Fighter V, I don't know if you realize this, Matt. To this day, it has only sold 1.7 million copies. Wow. It has not hit 2 million. I don't know if you remember one of the first episodes I think that you when you were a host and came over from doing the tricaster, we had a, a disagreement about how it would sell. And I think you said it would sell 3 million like the first year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it still hasn't hit 2. And look, I've argued against that, but I never would have dreamed it would do this poorly. Yeah. So what do you think? Will happen with Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite if it follows that same pattern?
1: Um, something similar, maybe. You think? I'm, well, either that or like I, I don't know. I what, feel like you mentioned earlier like, it has more
0: mass appeal. Even
1: right. in Street I think, Fighter. I think Marvel uh, can drag it into a, a higher bracket of sales, but I feel like if it's gonna roll out the way Street Fighter Five did content-wise, you're gonna it's gonna word of mouth gonna kill it among the casual market. Yeah. Um, and then you're gonna be like, because I think. What you're seeing with Street Fighter V is basically what happens when just the competitive scene buys the game. Yeah, I don't think Street Fighter V reached the casual market at all. It definitely didn't. Um, and the word of
0: mouth was terrible. Yeah. Even people who love Street Fighter were like, "Don't buy this thing." Yeah,
1: and like people, there's the a lot, I know, great. I know a lot of people who play in tournaments who are like. I own Street Fighter V, basically, so I can play in tournaments. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, I, if, if, like, if I didn't make, you know, some some amount of money, or or if this wasn't my major hobby of going out and playing with these people and playing in tournaments for the competition, like, they, these people would not own this game. Yeah. And that is really, you know, and that's not true of Street Fighter Four. Like no, Street, it's not at all. Street Fighter 4's tournament scene was, yes, prodded on by Capcom's official events, but it exploded in a very organic manner it it brought people back to the genre in a way that no one really thought could happen at yeah, the time you're right and Street Fighter Five is like I think a lot of people who play you know in home at home in living rooms you know casually online, even semi pro online. I think a lot of people just said, "I'm just gonna keep playing Street Fighter Four." Yeah, I think another thing
0: it shows is that eSports does not sell video games, no because Capcom has pushed Street Fighter Five, like you said down everyone's throats. And
1: it did not do anything for sales of the game. I mean, I don't even. You know I like Street Fighter Five, but I don't even really. I don't pay attention really to schedules of tournaments anymore. Like, I watch the NorCal regionals and the SoCal regionals because I care about the people, know, the people who play that, because yeah. I know a lot of those guys and I root for them. Yeah. And uh, and you know, but like, you know, if there's like, a, it used to be if there was like a random tournament on that I found that was like in in New York or, or, like, CEO down in Florida or, like, uh, something like in Europe, I'd stop and watch it just because I wanted to see people play the game, and yeah. I don't have that with Street Fighter V.
0: I, I can see it on Sifted, too, when we curate uh, esports stuff over the weekend that Street Fighter stuff mm-hmm. doesn't get a lot of views. People just don't seem to be into it, although I think, personally, as far as watching esports, fighting games are my favorite. They're very oh, easy to, to understand. Like, even games like League of Legends that I understand and play a lot... I don't enjoy watching its esports as much as I do with just that head to head very simple very raw competition mm-hmm. that you get with fighting games. And, and I still uh, enjoy
1: watching like high level Marvel versus Capcom 3 play. Yeah, yeah. I, for like, sure. It's still it's still fun to see even you know especially now that Chris G has been uh, kind of neutered a little bit because for a while there Chris Chris G was uh, dominating Marvel with his Morgan spam yeah, yeah. and uh, you know it took like a year for the community to kind of get around that technology yeah. but they did and it became a more interesting game again because everybody you know you never quite knew who was gonna win even though Chris G was still really good yeah and uh, the fact that they can still be doing that all these years later is really neat yep um, and that's kind of also the thing is like can you make a Marvel sequel that can do that again? Um, and, like, you want to go back even further, people still love to play Marvel, too. Yeah, for in sure. All its, in all its broken glory. Yeah, But, yeah. like, it's, you know, it's... That's, it's
0: really all about the characters. Yeah. Really. I mean, there's just something about seeing this mashup of some of your favorite properties all in the same fighting game. There's... It's just got that special yeah. sauce that it's gets just, people excited. And it keeps
1: people playing and, like, even, you know, from the beginning everybody hated X-Factor and they hated all these various things that you could do in 3 and... But they kept at it because it's just there's something about it. And, and you see, the other fun thing is when they expanded and add new characters, and like you see people like trying to learn and who becomes like a big deal and who, who falls out of fashion. And like you had that period where there are a couple of people who were like, I'm going to figure out how to play Phoenix Wright on a tournament level, uh, you know, hell or high water. Yeah. And in the end, it didn't really happen. Nope. <laughs> but for a while there, you had people like trying to pull off his ultimate stuff. And the, it, was, it was fascinating. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. So, um, if
0: it turns out that it does... Uh, and look, it, all signs are pointing to this, by the way, because we have it's com- this release is coming up not too far from now. We've seen hardly none of the game. No. In fact, this gameplay that we're seeing right now was leaked. Some guy just went up on a Vidme account, and I think he got a hold of some B-roll of the game or whatever and just posted it. Yeah. And Capcom never took it down. It's still up. Um, otherwise, what we've actually got from Capcom is, like, next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um so, it's kind of pointing in the direction of, there isn't that much to the game, it could be another Street Fighter Type 5 situation. If that's the case, are we both in agreement that this will still outsell Street Fighter 5? I, I will say it will. I think it will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, Which... Just on the
0: name. It's just crazy. I mean,
1: Marvel vs. Capcom could become mm. yeah, Capcom's wouldn't... flagship fighting franchise. As long as Marvel keeps playing nice. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, it could be. I mean, and the idea of updating this—that's the one thing I will say. I don't like the idea of not launching content complete in terms of like just basic modes. Yeah, you know, for like, well, sure. But adopting the season model for for Marvel makes a lot of sense because it lets you just add characters forever. Yeah. And that's really what people want. Is but do the, you need a season pass to do that though? Well, yeah, not season passes, but season. Oh, and, okay. Like you know, like that's what Street Fighter Five is doing since season well, two. All fighting right games now. do that now, pretty much.
0: Well. Killer Instinct, I mean, they yeah, all pretty much I mean, do. Yeah, Killer
1: Instinct kind of prom- uh, pioneered that yeah. for, the, for the genre. But I think that's a wise thing to do because it keeps you adding characters. And, of course, what the, the biggest thing about Marvel is everybody has the characters they want to see in it. Mm-hmm. And there's always been, for the other games, there's always been that thing, you know, especially for the first two, it's like, well, no, that's the game. It's done. Yeah. And then for uh, three, you had, you know, Shuma and Jill as the DLC characters, um, also, don't expect to see, Shuma- see Shumagorath in this. Really? Uh, Shumagorath is the oldest Marvel character because he is not from Marvel. He was created by Robert Howard. That's uh, right. I in, forgot about that. The Tarzan. He's actually part of the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, yeah. And because Marvel doesn't own him completely, they don't want to really use him um, in stuff Interesting. anymore. Interesting. So I would not expect to see Shumagorath in this game either just because of that. It's not that they can't use him. The license... He's, a, he's public domain, I believe. I think the Marvel version of him is copyright Marvel or whatever. But because anyone else can call something Shumagorath, Gorath, I think they try to avoid that now for whatever reason. It's a legal thing. Um, uh, but, like, the fact that now, like, you know... Yeah, and then you have Ultimate, which added some characters. But the idea of, like, you know, as you do season stuff, you know, w- w- which they've done, like, what, two seasons now in one year... Um, The idea that that Capcom and Marvel can react more dynamically to what becomes popular, to what people want to see, to what people are asking for uh, in terms of adding new characters, like that's a really exciting thing for this this particular game more so than a lot of other games, I think, especially as the movies continue to come out and that kind of dictates what will be popular. I mean, I would certainly expect to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. If they're not already in the game, they'll show up when that movie comes out next year. I would expect to see the Vulture in this one when it comes out. I would expect to see... You know, when Thor Ragnarok comes out, you'll probably get to get some Planet Hulk costumes you can download or something. You know, there's a lot of possibility here. You know, if they really want to play on the fandom and what's hot and what's not, and I hope they have a system in place because it really feels like this might. You know, Capcom's dropped a lot of balls
0: (laughs) in the last ten years. It sure has. But if they
1: screw this one up, (laughs) like. They the could make a lot of money. Konami of this could game. get this one right.
0: I guarantee that they'll make way more money on this game than they ever made on Street Fighter V. Yeah.
1: And look I mean, look at like Marvel Hero the Marvel Heroes game by the ex yeah, Diablo yeah. 2. By uh, uh, what's that company? I can't remember the name of the company. It begins with a G. A developer? Yeah, the developer begins with a G. Glue? No. It's uh, it's not Gadzooks. It's... No, no. it's Marvel Heroes. Look it up. They're, they're, a, good, they're a good guy. They ex the Diablo 2 people. Um, Gazillion, is what they're called. Um, they uh, like you know, their bread and butter is free to play. Their bread and butter is buying heroes. All, they add he- new heroes all the time, and they have endless numbers of alternate costumes for them. Yeah. That are all some of them are the most some of the most obscure comic book references you'll ever see. And people love them and pay money for them. Yeah. And all you need to do with Marvel vs. Capcom is the same damn thing. And I know it takes a long time to make a costume, but it's like if you put Spider-Man in there. You got to have the amazing Bagman, You got the black costume. You got yeah, the yeah. red costume. You got the got the white costume. You got the spider the armor one. from Web of Spider Man. Yeah, you yeah. got the new costume. You got to have all the different movie costumes. You got, I mean, and charge like three bucks for each one, and that's just free money hand over fist. I would never pay three dollars for a costume, but I know a lot of people do. Oh, so. people will. Yeah, oh, people, I know they will. On, on Marvel, well, on Marvel Heroes, the costumes are ten bucks.
2: Whoa!
1: More for like special ones that have new voices and new animations. Oh, I mean, look, it's a free to play, and you can earn all that. Game. Like you can earn all that through in game currency as well. Uh, just takes longer, but yeah. like I mean, look, Riot Games—all its revenue comes from skins. Yeah. I mean, and that's where that's also where Street Fighter Five, uh, despite how mishandled it is, did do it right in that you can earn yeah. all the new characters through in-game playing if you want to play that much. Right, um, which but if, people decide like they people don't... do <laughs> to some degree, but like uh, you know, it's there if you want to use it. <laughs> if you only want one character, you want to pay for a season pass. So that's a good model to oper- to adopt for Marvel, I think. But they have to. Do it competently Which Street Fighter V Has not proven they can I mean I think they've got Street Fighter V More or less on track Right now But it's too little Too late for that game And hopefully they Don't try to repeat that With you know Get it right Out of the gate For Marvel Because it would It would it would hurt me more to see this game fail the way than Street, way, Fighter, than Street Fighter, Fighter because Street Fighter is always going to be there. But if Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite does not perform, Marvel's going to take its ball and go home.
0: Well, it's an expensive license. Yeah. Capcom may take its money and go that home too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not cheap. It's not like they own the IP and they just get to make it no. just with the development. Cost, that's the so. other thing
1: I wonder about is uh, obviously, you know, the the Marvel license for this series comes and goes. There was a period where the Dreamcast version of Marvel vs. Capcom Two was worth a hundred plus, right? Because and and more so, more for the PS2 version, I think, for a while. I mean, it was just, you know, once the license for the Marvel game is up, the Marvel game goes away. Yeah, you can't, they don't reprint um, it. Yeah, yeah go, go look up the, the current eBay prices for the Spider-Man movie games. You know, yeah. like Spider-Man 2, you're going to be paying a lot of money for that game. Because really? you, you can't get it anywhere.
0: That's crazy. And
1: it's the same thing with, like, uh, you know, for a while, it was happening with that Deadpool game because it got pulled because Activision's right. license That's was up. Right. So it got pulled yeah. off Steam and everything. Right. And, all, and all. Now it's back, so it's it's different. But, um, you know, that was a problem for Marvel 3 for a while, too, because at a certain point, all the, the, the DLC went away. Yeah. Because the license was Marvel's expired. all
0: over it, man. They, uh... and, so, and now
1: it's back because they did you know PS4 version and the PC version now. But for a while there, it was gone. So my question, doubly so on this in terms of using the season pass and sort of like online, uh, you know, a constant online connection model is, once the license for this game expires, what happens to this game? Right. Where do you get this game after that? Yeah, is there going to be point. a complete version release? Is there going to be a way? Because they so, certainly don't seem interested in doing that with Street Fighter V. But, but like, if they don't come up with a solution to that, like, okay, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is done, we're never going to release any more content, put out a disc version, with because otherwise, like that game's tournament life is basically over.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think we're both in
1: agreement it's probably going to do better than Street Fighter V, though. I would be surprised if it didn't. Yep. Even if it's just on the back of people buying it without realizing what they're buying. Yep. And even if it's worse than Street Fighter Five, Yeah. I think it'll still do better financially. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about
0: Warhammer 40K Dawn of War 3. Matt, you dove into some RTS action last night. How much time did you actually get to spend with it?
1: Uh, I played like two or three hours. Okay. I played uh, the tutorial stuff, and I played the first few missions, and I played like one game of multiplayer and got killed very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, enough to kind of grasp what it's doing. The reviews have been... They all say it's good. Yeah, but they also say it's kind of not what they wanted. Not what
0: they wanted and also not what really they thought it was going to be yeah.
1: based upon sort of the pre-release marketing and yeah, the rhetoric surrounding this game from a marketing standpoint is very weird now in retrospect because they kept talking about it evolving the RTS. Yeah. And really they just sort of slapped MOBA elements into Company of Heroes. And, wow. <laughs> and, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Cause, cause, what are the MOBA elements that are in it? Um, m- mostly heroes. Okay. Uh, the fact that, like, you know, in. Because, like, you kind of got to know how that series has evolved, because Dawn of War 1 was basically a straight RTS. Right. Uh, it, it was basically Company of Heroes with Warhammer juice sprayed all over yeah. it, right? It was, you know, you go and capture the point, and you build listening posts on the point and I mean, it's the exactly Company of Heroes, just in the Warhammer universe uh Dawn of War 2 and the expansions expanded on that obviously but yeah. Dawn of War 2 was a little more of like an RPG sort of thing you had these squads that you upgraded and stayed with you for the whole time and and like you you found object items for them you equipped different things on them and they all were characters and they were le- the leader of each squad was a specific character in the story and and like you got really attached to these guys they were with you through the whole thing you chose where to go you chose what to invade um etc this game takes... And the, and the capture points were gone. It was it was more of a squad-based thing. Right. Uh, like Company of Heroes, but you know without the emphasis on controlling the map, more or less. Um, with, with Dawn of War 3, they brought back the capture points and the listening post stuff and building things. In fact, um, one of the other things they've done, they've completely gotten rid of uh, any kind of resource harvesting. And all that comes from the captured points. And you have to build stuff an additional listing point on the captured points to get resources at all. Got uh, yeah. Um, so they've changed that around, but the main... So, so that's kind of how multiplayer works in terms of capturing points. And there's also weird things where, like, there's sections that are not capture points, but they're heavy armor lo- zones, which basically... are heavy cover zones, which basically means your ranged units can sit in there And just deal damage with impunity uh, for the most part. Because if you capture it, you get a force shield around it. Okay. And so you can shoot out. No one else can shoot in. Only melee units can get in and kill your guys. So basically it's like a a little minor stronghold uh, that you can can change hands. The main MOBA elements are whereas instead of having uh, either captains or hero units attached to individual squads or having your squad be a hero unit... Now you have each side, there's three sides, space marines, orcs, and Eldar. Each side has three elite units. And as you play the game, you earn elite points. And then you spend those elite points to bring your elite units in, like heroes from World War- from Warcraft 3. Is this I on a per-match basis? Yes. Okay. So you bring, the- bring these guys in... Uh, and Company of Heroes 2 had a similar. That's moba-ish, similar all in its own. Yeah, it's, it is moba-ish. Yeah. It's, it's it's not like you're picking the character as your character from the start, but you are bringing in what is essentially a hero, uh, or a champion to play in your game alongside your squads, and they are very, very, very powerful compared to everybody else, and they have you know special moves, and you're, you know you're, all their moves are done with Q, QW all you know it's it's uh-huh. the same thing. It's it's the exact same thing, except you've got like you basically control your creeps. You control like, the creeps, so you also have some squads of generic marines and, who different types, and like you've got melee guys and and shooter guys, and you've got uh, you know scout guys. It can't be there is one, the one interesting mechanic actually uh, is an adaptation of the jungling idea um, where so you have like a rover essentially. You have scouts, and they're invisible. They're literally invisible to all units except uh, builder units. Okay. So like detector units of that nature. Detector units are very rare in this game and there's what's called stealth cover, and it kind of displays itself as sort of like this weird sort of smoky area, and if 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 a unit is in the stealth cover, no other enemy units can see them unless they are also also in that same stealth cover. Um, so you can sneak up and into the stealth cover right next to somebody's base, and they have no idea you're sitting there looking at them. Oh, no, interesting. And then you can just like open fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's similar to the jungling idea in MOBAs, except it actually plays directly into assaulting the core, which is the other major MOBA element in the game. Each side... So to win a match, you take down a base. In a power core game, yeah. You, 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 each, each side has a power core, which uh-huh. is literally the power core. Yeah. And you have to get to the power core and blow it up. Uh, the, t- the kind of the twist... Are there lanes? Like defined uh, lanes? Sort of. Yeah, I mean, the maps are sort of laid out like that. You can get around each other. But oh, I, I don't I mean... know. It's not quite as formalized. Right. But, like, there are other ways to get places. Um, you do have to worry about somebody slipping around if you don't know the map, which I of course didn't because yeah. I never played it before. Um, and then the power core has the one. The twist on the power core is that if your power core is being attacked, you can jump back to it and you can hit an act. Uh, it's a protection, like a shielding activation. It makes the power core invulnerable for 60 seconds. Okay. Which and then you can you can hearth You know you can hearth uh, <laughs> your entire team from your main headquarters. So instead of each individual hero warping back. Uh, you go back to your main headquarters and hit one button, and all your available units warp back to your home base, and you take on the guy. So basically, if your power core gets, starts getting hit, you can you bring hit everybody the, back hit the invincibility depend. button, you, you hearth everybody back to your home base, and hope you fight them off. So wait, way. they warp back to the base? They all warp back to the base. Is that good for strategy, though? That seems like it's... I don't know enough about how that. Yeah. How that RTS strategy works. It seems like it might not work. Them. Or make, make it well. The, the, the downside is there's no way to choose. It's either it's all or nothing. Okay. So if you've got other units out there pushing forward, uh, okay. they all come back. To gotcha, the base. gotcha. So like you basically so it's are, a last resort. It, it's type basically type. saying like I completely forfeit my offensive measures right now to defend my base. Because then and you, you have basically to you have them... to start
0: over. Well, right. Because you have to send them all out again, and they're going right. to take
1: a while to get. Yeah. Right. I
0: mean, it seems like if you get to that point, you're probably going to lose anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, a bit... so I mean, obviously, I only played one round and the tutorial, so like I don't. The nuance of it is is beyond me right yeah. now, uh, especially as someone who's terrible at online RTS games. Yeah. Um, but so it's like, yeah, so it's a weird sort of permutation of MOBA and, you know, standard RTS gameplay. Um, I wonder how people will react. Because, like, I, a lot of the reviews have said stuff like two steps. Two steps backward to take one step forward, and that feels really accurate. Yeah. Like, already. Uh-huh. Um, just because... I don't know. It just feels like maybe moving forward in the in the in the, the realm that like Dawn of War Two was pushing would have made it a more unique game. Whereas this sort of like even you know, I've been playing well, that's the- what they build this as though they're right. like oh we're gonna turn in the RTS genre upside down and but honestly like even as someone who's not a huge mobile player I have been playing some Heroes of the Storm this week because of the two launch yeah and, like, you get twenty free heroes yeah, yeah. I mean it was, it was it was you know it's a good deal so I'm like okay yeah. I'll play a little bit of it sure and like just playing this game kind of made me want to go play that. Play Heroes of the Storm, Play of the is Storm dead. instead because Heroes of the Storm is just a much more. I just it just feels like it knows what it is more. You yeah, know? like this one feels like it's trying to bring in these elements, it's trying to bring in these elements, but it's also still trying to be a War. and It's just like mm, I don't know if this is all gelling together properly. Very
0: rare that taking half measures results in success.
1: Like a, a Warhammer 40k MOBA is a totally valid. It idea. Sounds like a really good idea, but yeah. like. <laughs> especially because you've got so many different characters and like you know the the, the 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 you know it's too bad also kind of too bad the elite characters are things you have to bring in and then you still have to micromanage your other soldiers yeah. because like yeah. the heroes are way more fun to, the elite units are way more fun to play as just like Are you saying you would be
0: happier if your units were just like creeps and just automatically march towards the maybe. base like and like in pop? that
1: game mode yeah i think wow. it would work better interesting um, and in the the and also they also must know it to some degree cuz in the campaign uh, the emphasis is on playing as the heroes, at least so far. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, only, I'm only I'm only through two or three, Is three, yeah, two two levels, two main missions, and the early the prologue stuff. But like, um, so the one thing I will say is, um, I mean, I played my most of my exposure to Warhammer 40K is through the Dawn of War series. Yeah, um, I think most people would probably say that. And uh, it's, um, I like him. But I'm so sick of orcs.
0: <laughs> I can't... I mean, orcs are the Not most Not just in boring. Dawn Wars. I mean, yeah, it's but like everything.
1: Just fantasy in general. But particularly these. Because, like, the orcs are kind of a useful one-note cannon fodder, like, wah, like, yeah. thing. <laughs> From, <laughs> what, you know, it's just, like... It's like, yeah, they're useful for getting used to like whatever game early on because you know they're just you know they're just mindless shock troops and you yeah. can kind of, you're like any video game enemy any and you feel no of, guilt, right? <laughs> um, but I'm so tired of slogging through the early parts of Warhammer games where you're just like, okay, I got to kill orcs for four hours yeah. and then finally someone else from you know the Eldar will show up or the Chaos Space Marines will show up, and like, thankfully on this one, uh, the campaign jumps between race races very quick. So first level is Space Marines, second level you're orcs. Yeah. And you're you know while I don't enjoy fighting the orcs, I do enjoy being the orcs more than fighting because at least they're different from the Space Marines. Right, right. Um it's a different situation and it's a different strategic challenge. Um so while I kind of miss the um I certainly miss the, the Dawn of War 2-style sort of RPG-ish thing. Uh-huh. And I really miss Dark... I mean, Dark Crusade is my favorite Dawn of War game expansion. I think that's a pretty common opinion, yeah. I put yeah. Like over, well over 100 hours into that game playing the Conquer the Map mode. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. And I've loved that mode since Rise of Nations, which is probably still my favorite RTS. Um, so I miss that element of it. But like, if you're going to force me to play through what is so far a pretty standard RTS campaign... Um, jumps, jumping around early on is a good idea because I was ho- I was worried I was going to have to play Space Marines Killing Orcs for like five levels until the right. Eldar showed up and told me the real story yeah. because that's sort of what happens in the other <laughs> games to some degree. Um, but like, so so the variety there is good in terms, you know, I mean, they've only got three races at this point. I'm kind of hope if they expand the hell out of this, I'm hope they get enough races in it that they can um, do that conquer the world mode for me again. I'm sure they won't because that doesn't seem to be what they're interested in here. They want to make it a multiplayer game. It's always online that's how they like, make money you log into your relic account they want you to buy new elites and each elite has like some kind of special like a modifier thing which can you like, unlock them just through play um i think so i think for you, a game that
0: costs real money you should be able to unlock i them think you can i
1: mean look you you may have been able to pick up that i really don't intend to play the multiplayer yeah, yeah. That <laughs> much um in part because of that but it's like it's the same thing as company of heroes 2 where it's like uh, you know, obviously, with a you know in-game money system seems to be more applied to it. But like, it's like company here is you can buy new commanders, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you apply different commanders to your team. It's, it's basically the same thing, um, except with giant men in power armor wielding hammers the size of a car. You yeah. know, so, uh, how is the uh, plot in the storytelling? Um, it's fine. I mean, it's standard Warhammer. It's uh, a bunch, of, you know. So far, it's a bunch of Space Marines screaming for the Emperor and, <laughs> and and Inquisitors getting angry that the you know it's still the Blood Ravens, which is the, the the squad, the Space Marine squad that's been sort of the heroes of the heroes is a very loose word with, the, with anyone in the Warhammer in the 40K Hammer. world. You're very sure. But um, they're the protagonists, more or less. You're still playing. You still got Gabriel is your is the main first hero they teach you, who's been the the leader of the Blood Ravens for a while. Um... Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Carroll in the sense, like, man, the, the voice actor. Sure, I bet he didn't know how long term this gig was going to be when he first <laughs> took that job. Um, but he, uh, glad it did. he uh, you know, so he's the first hero you learn, and like, and so, I will say this: uh, the Warhammer stuff has never looked as good. Yeah, uh, I mean, they've got because one of the th- limitations on the previous games has sort of been the size of units, and in this one, they've got oh, they're huge, huge thing, yeah. And They've got the, you know, the. I mean, the the trailer shows some of the Titan stuff, but it's like even early on, you've got these, you know. 20 30 foot tall mechs just cutting buzzsaws through the through you know enemies. Yeah, we've and, been seeing it in some of the footage we the, uh, yeah, I mean it, the scale is definitely on a whole different level from the previous game. I yeah, can see another one up there. Uh I believe that's one of the hero hero units, one of the elite units. Who do you recommend this game to, Matt? Warhammer fans? Is that it? And Dawn of War fans? Both.
0: Yeah. What about someone who maybe tried MOBAs and thought it strayed too far away from RTS? Do you think somebody like that might be into it?
1: Maybe I mean, but that's also kind of me, and I didn't like that very much. So I don't. <laughs> perfect example. Um, I'd rather just play one or the other. I think I don't. I, th- this hybrid thing just isn't working for me. And I guess you know your mileage may vary depending on what you do or just like do or don't like about mobas. Yeah. But I felt like it was, uh, you know, it felt like too much micromanagement of uh, you know, and, and they really emphasize you making different groups, know, you know, your your different groups of squads, and and they know that they that that is kind of a major. Uh, component of the gameplay because you can you can group them in different squads simultaneously, which has been kind of one of my issues with some of the old Donald War games. Is I always wanted to be able to assign everybody to a group button, and then individual squ- like groups of different types of enemy of, of allies for like and they let you do this in this. So it's oh, like okay. so I can, okay you know the one the button one is everyone the button one is everyone and then like two is my assault marines and three is my scout marines and four is my line squad and then five is like this you know you can kind of like set up your difference like say you want okay so i need my scout marines is on three so i bring them up to see what's going on they are invisible unless i do something stupid so i can just kind of scout everything okay these guys are in heavy cover so i'm going to bring up my forces into the stealth cover and then i'm just going to select very quickly select my assault marines who are your melee guys and they've got jump jets so they can jump in yeah, they just from from the stealth cover they basically jump into the heavy cover and slaughter everybody in there and then once that's done I can bring up individually my my snipers to kind of help them out once that's done. And so like the micromanagement is definitely there. It's more it's more manageable, haha. Uh than like in my experience the other two games have been in terms of trying to manage mixed unit tactics. Uh so they they did a good job there, but um so much of it hinges on the powerful elite units, and like your strategy is is entirely based centered on those elite units, and it feels like, basically it, it like playing this game sort of made me understand like, oh that's why mobas are entire centered entirely centered around the hero units that's why they don't let you right. uh, deal with the minions yeah you know like it makes sense having played this that like and they're trying to make it more interesting but it's you know. You know, picking your individual little marine squads to jump and do what they need to do to do. To, you know, you're kind of like, well, I could do that, or I could just send Gabriel in to like hammer everybody down with his hammer and like you know heal him later. And it's it's like, I see what they're trying to do, but so far it's just not. It's not an interesting strategic choice to me. Is this um, a full
0: price game? Sixty bucks.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't pay sixty bucks, but I did. You get it at Amazon for? No, nah, I got it from uh, Green Man Gaming. I think it was forty-four.
0: Is that deal still there? I think so.
1: There you go, forty-four bucks. I haven't, would I haven't you, looked.
0: Would you recommend it for forty-four dollars?
1: I don't. I don't. I'm as a as a fan of the of the series of Donna of War. Uh, I don't regret paying paying that much. Okay. I'm glad. I, you know, it looks really good. It runs very well. Um, uh, even maxed out. Uh, you know, obviously, I have. You know but it doesn't support Quite the it. PC. Yeah, but it doesn't support SLI, so I am running on an, on the first generation Titan X. Uh, oh no. poor, poor um, baby! <laughs> those are not enough to run some of this stuff at 4K now. At 4K,
0: sure. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not 1080P you just... can probably run it at a million right. frames per second. Right, I'm running at 1440.
1: <laughs> I'm running at 2K basically. I'm sure it's gorgeous. Um, it looks fine. Yeah. I, although, although default, for whatever reason, it defaults to low on everything. Really? And I, it loaded up, and it looked like a 1995 FMD. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? Like, the... um, and then it, it warns me, it's like, it's like your your system might not be able to handle this. And I'm like, uh, it, oh, I think it will. It does have one. It does have one thing. <laughs> That I really like, though, um, it has a frame rate counter in the graphics options. Oh, so it's like so, League of Legends
0: is like that, it tells you. Oh, your, does it do
1: that? It always has your ping and your frames rate up on the screen. Yeah, always. it's like when you, when you change your settings for the graphics, there's a little window thing at the bottom of the graphics settings thing. It says your frame rate will be this. Yeah, and League like, of
0: Legends has it up the whole time while you're playing
1: live. I'm like, okay, well, every single game should do that. Yeah, yeah, you're All right. All games in the world on PC. Should At least have do that. the ability to toggle it on and off, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you can do it with Steam overlay, but the fact that just it that the game knows its own frame rate as you're changing the options. Yeah. Awesome. That is great. Love for that. sure. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about something
0: that uh has certainly generated a lot more discussions than just this one today. Uh Anita Sarkeesian has been doing a series of videos called Tropes Versus Women in Video Games Now for has it been, like, six years or...? Five years.
1: Five years. Five years in 2012? Yeah, I started in 2012.
0: And uh, she just announced yesterday that she posted the last ever episode mm-hmm. of the show. Um, looking back now, five years later, do you feel like what she did made a difference at all? Maybe we should explain what the series is first for people mm-hmm. who may not know. So it's basically a series where she looks critically at how women are portrayed in games. And I think basically what happened is she just had it, had expired every conceivable angle that she could have mm-hmm. through this series, and I'm sure it got to the point where it got it become harder to find topics to yeah, sort well, of cover. Originally,
1: it was supposed to be a much shorter series, but uh, well, yeah. So the Kickstarter originally, she did was like, look, if she was asking for like six
0: grand, she asked for eight thousand dollars on the Kickstarter and made like a hundred and seventy-eight thousand yeah. dollars. Kind of blew up. Yeah, and her videos, I
1: mean one of those things where it's like oh those stretch goals were uh yeah you you wonder how many how many times that happens with with some of those Kickstarter's that really explode or like how many of those stretch goals did you put down and you never thought you'd ever have to worry about them right yeah yeah and whoops yeah well i mean she you have to put multiplayer in your rpg right you didn't want to put (laughs) in your rpg
0: at all um but i mean she look she went from, hey, I'm pissed off about this. Give me a couple grand so I can make some shows about it. Most people would just make the shows. They wouldn't ask for money to do it. But So she asked for money, a little bit of money, just $8,000, and just literally makes what would be for a lot of people four years of salary working a crappy job just like that. Mm. I think she
1: got to episode 15, I think was the last one that they published yesterday. Sounds about. I mean, there was. I think it was like. I don't remember what. It was like two seasons, and I think they were each like six episodes, and then she did like three or four bonus ones. Because she started doing bonus ones to like, um, to as like examples of positive things, because like people were complaining that that it was just too much negativity. Um, The show's views have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I actually backed. Backed it. No really uh, on Kickstarter and I don't think I've watched the last four or five. Yeah. Just because it just it's kind of this yeah, I get it. It's one note. It is. Yeah. But I mean like, I can, but here's I mean, the thing though, the industry is kinda one note. Like it treats true. women that way. True. I mean plus <laughs> well, the thing is like, you know, and she gets complaints about like, you know, the context free element and, and a lot of her stuff that she's complaining about is context free. Yeah. And like, you know, especially I think the hitman stuff people did like. But like that's what a critical overview in in the context of of this kind of thing is. It's just like it's not it's not really trying to give a value judgment of like it used it well, it used it badly, or it subverted it, or it used it to tell a story that criticizes it. It's just saying this is an example of it popping up in a work. Right. You know. It's, it should, it, ideally, you're not trying to say it's good or bad that it's in that work. You're just saying this is it's here, it's it. here, it's here, it's here, it's here. Look at all these examples of it. Whether you know, I mean, you can take a, a negative trope or whatever you want to call it in a story and use that trope to illustrate why that trope sucks yeah, yeah. and make it like a subversion of that, but that's not what she's after in this overview thing, which, I mean, what's the point? I don't know. I guess just to kind of like by, to, to show by kind of mass
0: demonstration. She never did her shows that way, though. The, her, it wasn't mm. just her pointing out, hey, here's an example of it, here's an example of it. It was very opinionated. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it, uh, it was very polarizing, divisive, whatever word you want to use. Um, and a lot of people were angry that she asked for so much, asked for so little money, got so much money, but then didn't seem to put that money into the actual production of the videos. Wasn't so there a thing where she a lot was like, using have accused,
1: YouTube footage? Right.
0: Something? A lot of people have accused her basically of making 200 grand on the Kickstarter and then putting like $10,000 into the show
1: and then keeping the rest of the money well that's a pretty serious accusation so someone would probably want to prove that before saying that
0: yeah i think you could watch her production and see that it's not that far off base i think her production costs
1: more than 10 grand i mean Um, her graphics package probably costs 5g yeah but she's also paying herself and her crew and there's a location they have i mean some obviously some of that money probably went to securing the future of of her company. Fem- Feminist Frequency? Feminist Frequency, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it got them better facilities, it got them better equipment, it got them, you know, a bunch of stuff to make to make something that looked a little more professional, I suppose, yeah. or at least beyond what, I don't know what they were doing before that, I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, I had either. Um, uh, you know, and, and again, a whole lot of that money goes to Kickstarter takes a share, backer stuff, take you know, rewards go out and takes a share, but like, yeah I mean and and you get that from everything from all Kickstarter stuff that blows up like that. I mean it doesn't matter how good star citizen is Chris Roberts will always be suspected of suspected of being a clone who lives in Aruba yeah <laughs> uh, it's you know it's it's just you know yeah, I think for those of us who don't get to run super exciting successful Kickstarters, it just looks like someone won the lottery, yeah and and then gets to work on their own terms for years. It's been. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's she, been five years. Yeah, I guess if you look
0: at it that way, if she doled out that money across five years, well, yeah, I mean that's not YouTube revenue and blah blah
1: blah. Somewhat, but, but it's also like not. You know, that's not that much. I mean, right. I don't know how, how many views are those YouTube videos pulling. I mean, out? the
0: latest ones are only getting like sixteen, twenty five thousand views. Yeah, that's not.
1: That's not enough to make. You know, I mean, maybe you could buy lunch for the crew or something. Right. <laughs> like,
0: well, I think the idea that people thought was that there would be like fifteen episodes in like a year. Right. <laughs>
1: I think that was but, kind I mean, of the true, idea. But that's true of every. I mean, you know, it's like here we are five years a, later. I've backed a few things like this. Uh-huh. Uh, most of them gaming related, and like there's a couple of them they're still not done. I yeah. mean, there's a some of the valid excuses. Like I backed a uh, it was a it was a basically a column by some guys who'd done a column I liked before, and I backed it. And uh, you know they were supposed to do I think 12 or 13 of them. Uh, that was in 2011. They're on like seven right now. And part of it's because one of the guys got cancer, Whoa, so they had okay. to take well, some time off. Well, that's a valid off. excuse, yeah. Um, but it's still like, you know, you're talking about a column that used to run monthly. And now it's has got the it's money. And six, six years. Ago. I don't <laughs> think it's got the money so much really? as, like, you know, a lot of this stuff is not anyone's primary job. Yeah. You know, the, the ones that, the Kickstarters that come out, even with some delays, the Kickstarters that come out really on time. Yeah, actually, you know what the Kickstarters that have been most reliable? Comic books and board games. Like which all, seems insane. You all have the,
0: actual manufacturing with board games. Yeah, but like,
1: but you know, like the, all the board game stuff I've backed have all been people who worked on board games forever. Like the Cthulhu Wars with Sandy Peterson, uh-huh. who's made more board games than I've played in my lifetime. He knows, you know, and that had some some delays, some pretty serious delays. But like, he knew he knew more or less th- that maze. Yeah, and it all got you know, or um, was it? There's a there's that Kickstarter I backed last year with. Uh, it's stupid, but it's like action figures of raptors with velociraptors with feathers on them. <laughs> that like is they're, pretty they're, they're, they're like, they're like, I hate to they're, say called, they're called Beasts of the Mesozoic and it's like really scientific, it's like, it's like really scientifically accurate like, you know, like what we know they look like now because right. they don't look like Jurassic Park. They right, got yeah, They've got they like birds. Yeah. And that, that Kickstarter, I think, ended in May and they're about to ship them out like two oh, wow. weeks from now. Like, they're. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the video games take a long time because development is they do. scary, yeah. you know, and, like, video- production, yeah, you know, we know production pretty well. Yeah. I feel like we could have gotten those videos together faster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I could have hit that 15 mark in, like, two months or three months. But, again, but it's like, you know, I don't think, from what I understand, she was not much of a gamer, beforehand yeah. i think and, that's
0: become blatantly obvious and across to, the course of yeah. the series yeah. but
1: one way or the other had to gather everything do the research more and and get the foot you know eventually get the footage after she stopped get, like taking it from other youtube people which yeah. i understand was a problem early on yeah um and uh you know it, i'm trying to imagine me like okay i'm going to do a 15 episode video series on backgammon right I would... not. Backgammon is too small, frankly. It is, yeah. It would have to be like <laughs> fantasy sports. Let's say right. fantasy sports. There the fa- world of fantasy sports. I wouldn't even know where to start. Right. I have to start buying fantasy right, teams. Right, but then and- you don't do it. You don't decide,
0: hey, I'm the person who should be providing the commentary on this thing because I don't know what the hell I'm talking yeah, about. Well
1: ideally I would hire like you and people that would right. know what the hell they're talking about and kind of but shepherd. She the project. was the front of this though. Yeah. You know, like she, you know, she basically sold
0: herself as someone qualified to do this type of commentary. And then as it turns out,
1: she really wasn't. Yeah. Well look, if I I might be willing to sell myself as a 6000 dollars Commentator right. on fantasy sport, right? Society. But not a but not 150,000, right? And like it's, a, it's like, and that wasn't under her control. So, no. so um, let's go back
0: to the original question, which is, has this changed anything? She's been through a lot of strife, and like you know, she's been treated like crap by a lot of people, which is mm. totally wrong. Um, even I mean, if it's you it's have changed. valid criticisms of somebody, it's all about the tact and the approach and the way that they have attacked her and kind of gone after her. Isn't right? Um, it's not her fault, like you said, that she asked for. Eight thousand dollars or whatever, and got way more. That's mm-hmm. that. You should blame the people who backed her. You should blame you.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> That's not her fault. Um, I but, didn't. I didn't know my twenty-five bucks were going to go that big. Right. Right. <laughs> the ultimate question is: Is did it work? Did she change people's minds? Did she change how games are developed? Did she change how developers look at their projects when they're just for,
1: first getting started on them? I don't know if she did, I don't know if her videos did, but I do think But is think she a, is
0: she a part of a groundswell at least? I think so.
1: I mean, I think that is a conversation that's had not just more often but more intelligently now. Uh, and you're starting to see more to, Actually, I think you it's it's getting better to the point that like BioWare games look silly in in comparison, like like. Yeah. Whereas it used to be like, oh, that game, you know, BioWare game, is so so progressive. That elf is bisexual, you know. It's right. Like, and now it's just like, oh, it's just kind of cartoony. You yeah, know, it's it's like there's no nuance to that portrayal, and like the people are starting to think about it more. I think it's had more impact on indie games, um, and kind of the you know the, the gone homes of the world maybe. Um, How do we explain the whole
0: GamerGate thing in the context of this though? Because um, Gamergate happened after.
1: Yeah. In the wake of. Do you think um, it was a response to her? In part. I think in part it's, you know. So, in some ways, could it have made things worse? Well, things are always going to get worse in that regard before they get better when you're trying to have, you know, when you're criticizing something that people have a very strong identity with. Yeah. They're going to react and badly. And accepted that it's
0: just a certain way. Yeah.
1: They're going to react badly because they think you're trying to take it away from them. Right. Um, and that's, you know, the conflict goes on to this day. I mean, it's going to always be there to some degree, as long as you got people screaming about SJWs ruining everything, and, and people f- freaking out about, you know, things that are offensive to, basically, things that are offensive to groups of people that other groups of people don't have to worry about. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, who, you know, you, it's easy for someone to say, who cares if uh, the trans character in Marvel, in uh, Marvel versus Captain in uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is not a proper or, or sensitive or, or intelligent portrayal of a trans person, uh, when you're not trans, and you never have to worry about right. that. Right. It's very easy like to sit there yeah, and pass judgment. Yeah. And like, but if, if you are that trans person playing that game, and you see that, like, and that's one of your few moments in gaming to be represented in a game, uh, and that's what you see, and that's what you see these people think of you as, like, and or yeah, and it's not like the, that character was portrayed badly, but it's just like they're behaving in a way that no trans person ever would. Like, right. And so the fact that you know, it felt like very little care was put into that and like I totally understand what that means. And like and for me as someone who has always been represented in video games yeah, and in all mass media entertainment, I'm a straight white cisgender male. Like I yep. I if I you know, if, if I you know, people freak out about like, I can't identify with this female protagonist, which I think is silly, but like So do I Um but if I Say hypothetically can't. I guess I'll just go play one of the other ninety-nine percent of entertainment products that That are are made made just for me. Just for me. It's (laughs) like you know. So, like it's no skin off my back. You know. It's uh, it's like I don't see why, as someone who has found refuge in this medium so often in his life, why wouldn't I want that for as many people as possible? We're seeing it. Just that game we talked about
0: last week on the show, Code Vein. People are freaking out because the new Dark Souls stars mm. a female character. I don't get it. I really... All my Dark Souls games have starred female characters. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like that's yeah. why I always I always pick the girl.
0: Yeah, I don't think I think they're worried that you won't have the flexibility to create your own characters and stuff the way you have mm-hmm. in the past. Although I think that I mean it definitely looks like
1: the characters in Code Vein are pre You know, they're characters right. that the developer has made and is going right. are going to be what the story is about. It's not going to be. I mean, there's no way in hell Code Vein is going to be a one-to-one Dark Souls analog. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's clearly going to be sort of God-eater with, you know, some Dark Souls sensibilities applied. Um, and I think it's a mistake, like you said before, I think it's a mistake for Bondi and Namco to continually position it as sort of the next Dark Souls thing. Which, if you're saying prepare to die as your tagline, that's what you're doing. Prepare to dine. Dine. Okay. <laughs> She's <laughs> a vampire, get it? Right. <laughs> I get it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so let's let's pass some judgment on this. Has she made a difference with this series? First of all, you know, I, I just want to say I admire her. You know, I feel like she did a pretty good job on the series. I watched the first few, I kinda fell off after a while because mm-hmm. I agree with you, it was kind of one note. I felt like after you watched a few episodes you kind of got it. And I kind of knew what was going on anyway. Um, I'm like you, I'm a straight white male Every game's pretty much made for me There's more than enough games I could ever play With the amount of time and money that I have At my disposal Um, I don't care if a few games here and there I don't care if all games have female protagonists To be perfectly honest Mm -hmm. with you, it doesn't bother me at all Um, but there's a lot of people that do, obviously As I just mentioned with Code Vein Do you think it's changed anyone's minds?
1: Any of those minds? I don't know I don't know if we can say that without some actual data to back it up um, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um but it's like you know in some, some degree sometimes some days I feel like it did. Some days I feel like it didn't. Some days I feel like it just polarized everybody more. Yeah. Um but I mean I think someone had to. Yeah. And I admire her for being that person that stood up and did it even she though she up being a punching
0: bag yeah, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely
1: for in a lot of ways that were not deserved and a lot of ways that were very silly and juvenile in the way that people approached what this was. And uh, even if I don't agree with all of her criticisms of the game, yeah, I mean, out, I, I think like... she's
0: a guilty of a little trolling here and there as well. I think once she started to figure out what really got people worked up, mm. that she kind of started working that groove a little bit. And maybe I'm not saying she asked for. I think she wanted more people to watch the show, yeah. and I think well, maybe right. And I think maybe her techniques to do that were a little off kilter, maybe. But maybe, but like. Those people who need to see it, though, yeah, like even if they watch a minute of it and they are like, "This is garbage," and "Screw you," and they close it out, at least there was that minute, yeah, where they heard the other I, perspective. I just feel
1: like it, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people that probably needed to hear that are not the people who would have watched it at all in the first place. Yeah. And I also just, you know, not to not to rip on her on her work or anything, but I feel like it wasn't particularly convincing if you didn't already agree with it. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. She did not do a good job. And of... I don't. Find, I, I'm not saying that specifically to her. I think that's a problem with kind of uh, advocacy programming in general. In general. Yeah. Uh, just like I'm watching uh, the Netflix, the new Bill Nye show called "Bill Nye Saves the World." It probably should have been called "Bill Nye Preaches to the Choir." Yeah. Because um, like the people that need to see that stuff, they're not going to. They're not going to watch a Bill Nye science show on Netflix. You like know, a good probably. example of that of, of it working though is the Planet Earth
0: series. And that's yeah, yeah. Because everybody watches Planet Earth, and it does sort
1: of have those subtle. At the end of every episode, yeah. it's like that and, polar bear is not going to make it right to, to Canada. It has to swim all the way from the. They'll make heights. like a
0: subtle reference yeah. to climate change or whatever, and say, you know, these don't the habitat of these dolphins. If we don't do, they always say, if we don't do something, yeah, this is going to happen, and it's
1: always said by a very erudite. Uh, mid-20th century educated British man. Right. Which is how you know it's correct.
0: <laughs> Who voiced it in
1: uh, the U.S., though? They did a different uh, They tech. changed that uh, pretty much. So, I, I mean, I always watch the, the, the David Attenborough one. The original uh, BBC original one. The original BBC yeah. one, because... Because it, it's, it's better. Attenborough. <laughs> it's, I mean, the, it's better. Man, the man is I a legend. I thought it was a celebrity, though. It usually is. So I th- one of them was uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, one of them That's was right. uh, Alec Baldwin. Um... One of them was... Didn't the not
0: the star of Titanic, what's his name again? DiCaprio?
1: Yeah, I thought he maybe voiced he did, Maybe he did do one. No, they change each time. So I know, I think... So I'm thinking of Planet Earth and Life and... I don't remember who did... Is it DiCaprio doing Planet Earth 2? No, I well, in the US I don't know. I only watched that it That just BBC. started airing, I think. Oprah did one. Oprah did one, that's, uh, that's right. right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the one I I thought was best in terms of... If I can't listen to the Attenborough one, I will listen to the Sigourney Weaver one, because she's pretty good at it. Um, But that's sort of an example of doing it in a more subtle way. Yeah, well, also because you've got these amazing visuals... Backing up the you know yeah, you have I mean, the proof whatever right you there think about climate change there's that polar bear struggling to stay on that tiny little ice flow, and you're no, like no you're right yeah you're, like, <laughs> you're right yeah you know, it's it's uh, it's a very visceral thing and also gives us something to watch on our 4K TVs yeah so, <laughs> so everybody wins <laughs> until we can no longer power those 4K TVs because we're out of energy there
0: we go We'll us burn more more coal <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: the American way
0: yeah so Anita uh, look I admire you you uh. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And even after people were you attacking, you have to watch
1: this show. I'm surprised you. Yeah. show.
0: <laughs> yeah, she'll probably never see this anyway. But no. uh, but I do admire her guile and her guts. Um, even if her motives weren't a thousand percent pure, who knows? I don't know her personally. Um, but I think better once. But I think you're right. You somebody has to do it. You know, somebody has to at least present these sort of conflicting ideas to people who are very well dug in in their positions. And maybe you never change them at all, but at least they heard
1: that other perspective at least wants to know that it exists. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if she didn't change a lot of minds in the fandom community, it sounds like she got the conversation. And she and other people uh, who were around the same time in terms of that ground soil you mentioned, I think they got... The industry talking about it, yeah. the, you know, the development and pu- developers and publishers talking about it and, and taking a little, if not going directly, you know, I, th- I think the pandering accusation is generally mislabeled, mi- misapplied to things, uh, but, like, when it's really just more being inclusive, um, but the fact that, like, people are taking a little more care in terms of how they build their games with, with an eye to that stuff, I think is nothing but a positive thing for the industry and the medium in general. All right, let's move along. Next, we're going to talk about an announcement that just came out today.
0: Uh, Nintendo announced today that, once again, it is not doing an E3 press conference. Shocker.
1: How many years in a row is this now? Three? Four? The last one was the Wii U announcement. Because I remember it ended with um the Nintendo time. Land fireworks stuff And then yep. Adam and I argued over the headset Over whether the Wii U was a new system or not Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we weren't sure Because that's how good that press conference was
0: Yeah Um I think it's worked out for Nintendo over the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, I mean, they're
1: much better at pre-produced stuff than they are at live. And I think we saw that again with the January Switch presentation.
0: But I feel like it worked because the Wii U was sort of this strange product for Nintendo that wasn't doing well. And it's almost like it's better sometimes when you're not doing well to kind of stay on the down low. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like the bigger deal you make out of yourself when you're not doing well, the more likely you are to garner criticism. And it's like, yeah. if Nintendo had a big press conference at E3 while the Wii U was tanking, what happens? All those big mainstream publications, Yahoo, USA Today, they go back and they write this horrible piece mm-hmm. about how Nintendo had an E3 press conference and spent all this money and got all these people together to show us nothing. Right. Where are the Wii U games? Blah, blah. It's bad press. Yeah. And the directs, it's like, we watch all that stuff. The Enthusiast Press watches it. Their fans watch it. But the mainstream journalists really don't. So it's almost like a little safe haven doing the directs. But things have changed, Matt. Nintendo now has the Switch on its hands, which it says is
1: the, its most successful console ever. Well. Still sold I know. Uh, the, <laughs> whatever. I don't, ways to go. Before, yeah, yeah. Fastest selling or whatever this you know, like whatever, whatever adjective they want to use to technically be correct yeah i mean sony's very good at that too yeah i mean all of them are they all do it it's not just nintendo but this, i don't feel like now
0: this is a where you want to be like doing this little clubhouse thing for your fans and like hardcore journalists no, 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 i
1: think you're still in you're still in that realm right now really I don't, I don't think the push starts until fall not until you're trying to get people to buy this thing for christmas um and in terms of like mainstream coverage like I don't see where you're getting that one way or the other from an e three press conference, really? <laughs> not with this, and it also makes me wonder what they got. you know what I mean um, they might know that they don't want to deal with deal with the hassle of a lot. It's also much cheaper i mean if if you if you know you're going to need that mainstream push, fine, but it's like I feel like they're going to get how how many more million do you think they're going to get out into the product channels by the end of the year. And I still think they're not going to run out of Nintendo fans that are just going to auto-buy this thing yeah. by the end of the year. I mean, they come into stores, they all sell out. Right. It's still going that like, They way. don't need to yet. Um, and I, I just don't, you know, the, the immense the immense cost of doing a live event at E3, like, I just don't think they find it worth it yet.
0: Well, I don't know if you remember, there was a, <coughs> there was a couple of years where Nintendo kind of shrunk it down. And yeah. instead of having it in that huge hall at LA Live, they did it in that little concert venue that has, like, a bar in it. They probably held, like, four or five hundred people. But it was big enough to get all the people that mattered in there. A lot of the fans didn't get to come in. But all the press was there, including the the core and the mainstream. Um, It still accomplished the same directive while spending a lot less money. But if if you're Nintendo and you just had a major flop with the Wii U... Don't you really need though Look, they know they're going to sell this thing to the 10 to 13 million people that bought the Wii U. There's no question about that. It's going to happen. Nintendo knows it. It's more successful than the Wii U. It's just it's a stone-cold lock that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But to get it beyond that, it needs to reach the mainstream. It needs to work with the publications like Yahoo and USA Today and major newspapers around the world okay. and TV networks and things mm-hmm. like that that's what's going to get it over the hump. And you see with this initial marketing... What's
1: going to get it over the hump is not being obscenely priced outside of the U.S. That'd help. I mean, the thing is not sold out anywhere but here in Japan. It has to be, though. Be- it's not. Australia and Europe, you can walk into a store and buy, g- grab four off the shelf right are now. Are you sure? 100% positive. How are they getting fact, these sales thing- numbers in? In fact, because they're, they're selling here
0: and in Japan. But North we know America. the numbers here. They have sold, like, 1.3 here and, like, 600 in... Japan, 600k in Japan or less.
1: Yeah, well that gets them to about two million. Right. Where's that other? They just said that they're they've sold 2.8. All right. Well, maybe about a million sold from Australia and and Europe combined. That's about right. You think so? 500,000 in Europe is not great. I don't know. For a Nintendo hardware, kind of. Well, you is. got people in the chat right now saying they're in Australia. You can walk into a store and pick one up anywhere. Wow. I mean they're not, I mean, they're, they're almost 400 bucks there. I mean, they're they're ridiculously overpriced okay. anywhere but here in Japan. So that actually
0: does kind it's of just like the back up thing. my point because the the core are not picking up the switch overseas unless you're talking about Japan. It or I'm sorry, the casuals are not or the core. If the core are picking it up overseas, then you need the casuals to come and fill in the blanks. And without pr- when when promoting these directs to the core and to people like us, you're not reaching those people and. That is what, to me, is going to grow the Switch business to where Nintendo needs it to be and where it needs to go to, obviously, and honestly become a success so that us core players can reap the benefits. Players well,
1: don't know what you're going to do in a press conference that you couldn't do in a direct to convince someone to spend $400 on something they don't want to spend $400 It's on. not about what you do or what you don't
0: do during the broadcast. It's the access to it and creating a spectacle, an event that will get those main... Look, a lot of the mainstream press goes to cover stuff when they think they're going to get something free, or there's some kind of visual. I mean, you like let's say CNN. CNN is not going to run a story on a Nintendo Direct. It's just not. It's not going to run footage
1: that it and captured they w- but from they, but YouTube. But they will show. But they will run a little segment on their booth. Right. They did well, last maybe. Year. Zelda. Zelda's maybe. Booth was in the mainstream media last year because it was a little pretty.
0: Bit. But it was pretty. You have a press conference with all the pomp and circumstance, have the Zelda orchestra back, or whatever the hell you decided doing. Your chances of getting picked up by those outlets that turn your platform from a minor hit into a mega hit goes up exponentially. We saw it with the Wii. I mean, it, it they yeah, got the I,
1: mainstreaming on it. And the mainstream blew it up. The mainstream blew it up because it was a compelling idea that isn't here right now for the Switch. It, it, yeah, the 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 Wii U was a was a one off. I think I don't think you can replicate that. Uh, the Switch is not as compelling an idea to the average person who hasn't touched a game in five years or whatever. Um, the problem. You don't I think th- so? No. Um, especially not for the cost. Uh, the problem is uh, I think you're. I think Nintendo's doing a pr- two pronged strategy here that I think you're missing, uh, which is that, the, the yeah, the Direct is for us, but the booth is for the mainstream press, which are there at E3 doing their thing. And, you know, Nintendo's always at the crowd. Nintendo always has one of the pretty, yeah, it's certainly last year, one of the prettiest booths in E3 ever. history. Yeah, ever. I mean, just amazing. Walking in that booth made me feel better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after, after like, day, like it was, it was incredible. Like, it was the only
0: thing in the booth. It was the only thing in the
1: booth. But they just, you know, they went for broke on it. The whole place looked like a core. It worked. It looked like the Korok forest. It was amazing. And um, it even smelled good. I don't know if they did that on purpose. Maybe it was just that was might have been psychosomatic. I don't know. Yeah. But like that is where they glad hand the mainstream press people and bring them into this place, and that's that makes a great shot. Oh, that's the other thing. If I was shoot, I was not shooting video stuff there. But if I was shooting any kind of video segment there, I would beg to shoot it in that booth. Yeah, for sure. As your intro and outro because it's so good. So I think they're going to do the same thing. The direct is for us, uh, and the and the core and the and the enthusiasts. And they're going to handle the mainstream press on site, um, where they got better visuals, where they can get their hands on things, where they don't have to trust our expertise. I My mean, expertise might not be the best word for that, but we can look at stuff in a press conference or a or a direct and know basically what we're looking at, it, what it will feel like if we get our hands on it, or what Nintendo's trying to show us, or, or you know, in terms of their history compared to what they're starting to put out now. Whereas some CNN reporter may not know that, and they need to get their hands on Mario Odyssey and understand what they're holding. Yeah. I think that's their plan. I think Nintendo's one of the few... I don't think that plan works, though. So I really you don't. You may be right, but I, think, <laughs> but I think that's one of... Nintendo's one of the last remaining major players uh, who really finds value in the physical uh, existence of E3. Um, because I think that's where they handle the mainstream people now.
0: I just think that right now Nintendo is like a poker player who has a royal flush in his
1: hand, and he decides to call.
0: I think if, I, I think if you think uh,
1: the switch is a royal flush, you're out of your mind. I mean, maybe he's got a full house. I mean, let's relati-
0: let's say in the hand before he had a pair of sixes, and now he's got like I don't know a, a, a full house. Like mm. you got to realize, Nintendo is going through a real rough patch here. Oh, yeah. We had nothing to talk about. It but- had it was smart to not do press conferences when you have nothing to show at your press conference. Now you have this product that is literally. Borderline, turning into a little bit of phenomenon. I mean, I don't agree with that yet. Really? No. If so, two- Anytime a product sells out as soon as the shipments come in, that's kind of a phenomenon.
1: Yeah, but so did the Wii U. No.
0: Early uh-uh. on, yeah. No, uh-uh. Oh yeah. And also the Wii U. Wii U
1: sold out of its initial shipments. No question. It was
0: two hundred thousand units though. They undershipped the Wii U. Like it knew before it even
1: launched that it was like tanking. It's the numbers funny. on this are not much higher than the Wii U's launch numbers. I think they are. It was in the three hundred thousand something range for both of them and the PlayStation Four uh, in Japan. Like it was right. like it's not that different. Like it's out selling the we PlayStation don't know. Four in Japan. We don't know for yet. For the same amount of time. It's but we out don't selling know PS4. Yet. I just feel like the, the PS4 had to have had more more units in the channel at that point. it it doesn't matter how many units there are.
0: Switch is outselling Playstation Four in the same amount of time after launch. It is sold more
1: than PS4. It's not even the question. That's the facts. I just I still we don't know this is a phenomenon until it's until we get through the people that automatically buy Nintendo art.
0: Alright, so let's get past the fact of whether it is or isn't a phenomenon. Let's just say Nintendo has a hot product on its hands for
1: the first time in a long time. Maybe. And I just feel like they're under doing this is underplaying itself. If its they're hand. selling out as fast as you they can make them, how can they possibly be underselling anything?
0: Because that's gonna happen. Eventually, the fans are gonna all have it, people are gonna finish playing Zelda, and you're gonna need those other people to start filling in the blanks to
1: keep moving the hardware that's gonna be next year the
0: other problem too is that nintendo in its financial report yesterday said that it is already ramping up production of the switch because of demand so you need customers to fill to take those units that you're producing it's Mm -hmm. i just think it's short-sighted i think it's i think it's become enamored with how much its fans love the directs which i do as well and i understand why they like them I just think that getting too caught up in the people who are already converted who are already
1: gonna buy a switch They're not thinking about a bigger strategy. I I mean that's possible. Uh, I I just think two things a it doesn't matter um, Because the game the system's gonna sell itself on the on the game library And we're gonna see that by the end of the year in terms of Mario and beyond that's gonna matter how they support it in year Two doesn't matter what they do at E3 in that regard number two um, I don't think they're com- confident enough in their new, you know, heads of state, more or less represent- re- representatives, to do a live event again after that January event. I don't think they're happy with that how that went. I don't think uh, it really popped the way they were hoping it would. And f- I mean, frankly, it comes down to the fact that they do not have Iwata anymore. Yeah, like Iwata is just such that was such the charismatic face of those press conferences. That, like, without him, I think they're... I think they still have cold feet about going back to that. Could be. Um, I mean, I have no no evidence or proof of that, obviously, but, like, if I were them and I'd just seen what we did on January 12th, I would be like, mm, we may not be ready for prime time on this. I just say... Almost in any
0: business, or pretty much any situation in life, you strike while the iron's hot. <laughs>
1: well, they certainly have the money to do so, but right. they, like they're they're. It's like spend it. They play conservatively with all this stuff, and I, I see kind of see where they're coming from, where they want more control over the presentation. They don't want Suda Fifty One to get up there and <laughs> ramble about what kind Nothing. of whether whether they're weird stuff he's not working on or is working. Yeah. You know. Um, like I can see after January Twelfth why they would want. More control and more, more you know, fine tuning of the message for this, uh, and they'll kind of rely on on the 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 booth and the and the and the in person stuff and Reggie himself because Reggie Reggie is an excellent in person glad hander with these with these guys. I'm mean, sure he'll he'll take care of all that, um, and everybody loves going to see Reggie. So I'm sure that you know everybody knows that they've got their beats. It'll be fine. I also think E3 is too far out uh, in terms of when they really need to push the Switch. I think you're going to see the Switch push is going to come on what they can advertise on on television three weeks out from Mario Odyssey. It's going to be like a, a movie launch. Just like you haven't seen any real marketing for Wonder Woman yet. Uh, they need you know, The mainstream audience is not going to be aware of this system until the Christmas rush starts to get pushed on TV. Until they start advertising Mario Odyssey on the NFL games. Or basketball games, or whatever. You know, it's it's not Switch is getting marketed after Yin Yang.
0: I have see commercials
1: be. every time. I hardly even watch TV, but all I see is Switch commercials. I'm, really? Yeah. I've never seen a Switch commercial. Wow. I actually do leave TV on in the background. Wow. On.
0: I see them all the time,
1: constantly on in sports, live sports, hmm. NHL games, NBA games. Steam well, that's what whatever. they need to do. Yeah. Like they need to keep keep that. That's the visibility they need. And uh, once they got a new Mario game to push. Uh, this fall, like, there's that's your killing strike, and if, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. That's the thing is like, the other element of it is like, they're still going to be having trouble keeping those things on the shelves because the the Nintendo fans want those systems. They still, want, I don't think they've met that demand yet. No, they haven't. So I mean, until they hit 10 million, they right. they won't have. So the other thing you got to worry about is like, okay, you want this to be the hot item, but you don't want to, you know, you want don't want another NES Classic situation where the people who like just see it and like, oh, I like that can't get one, and get, you know, I mean, to be fair, they don't usually blame Nintendo, they blame Best Buy. Yeah. Um, uh, they, you know, they, they, they think the retailer is hiding Make them somewhere it, yeah. or something, you know? <laughs> it's it's just like, if, believe me, if Best Buy could sell you an NES Classic, they would. If they could sell you a Switch, they would. Yeah. Um, but they're going to, ha- you know, that's the other thing, is like, you have that balance between being the hot Christmas item... And being the thing everybody's pissed at, pissed off about because they can't get one. Right. Um, which kind of happened with the N64, and in classic times, happened with Mario 2. Yeah, you're right. Super Mario Bros. 2, yeah. there was a ch- EEPROM, I think it was, chip shortage, uh-huh. uh, because no one had made those chips in great numbers because the game industry had crashed and all of a sudden they needed millions of these things they couldn't get enough and they they missed demand by something like 80% for yeah. christmas 1988 yeah. it was if you look at 1989 video game magazines it's all they talk about in the lead up to christmas that year is d- nintendo promises there will be enough copies of things this year because yeah. also people forget like how many like you know like sega published everything for their system there were no third-party publishers. You're right. There weren't. Yeah. They did. They and so if that meant if they couldn't get all the chips, they couldn't make the games, and you didn't get Fantasy Star for Christmas. Yeah. And it was it was a different world, but like you have to avoid that. You know, consumers didn't trust that. You know, when Super Mario Brothers three started was about to come out, I was like, "Well, are we even going to be able to get it?"
0: And, and of course, you could because that. there
1: was plenty of people are like, still that way with Nintendo products. Yeah, but Ninten- yeah. You know, Nintendo has had a problem with that. That time, it wasn't their fault. I mean, that right. was a, that was a chip shortage but Nintendo stuff can get so rabidly needed by the consumer base that it can backfire on them a little bit and and make people mad at them. And I think you're seeing that a little bit with the NES Classic, but everybody's too busy playing Breath of the Wild to really care. All right,
0: let's move on. We're going to talk next about what remains of Edith Finch. I have to say the walking simulator is a genre when we first launched Game Face, it was like every other week there was a new one. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was I don't know if it was there was a backlash, but there's certainly been a lull in the genre for quite well, that, some time now.
1: I think part of it is like, you know This game was supposed
0: to come out back then, by the way. It's been yeah, like in it's, development. It's, well, this for the, forever. Unf- the
1: unfinished Swan Guys yeah. and uh that Great was a game. long time ago. That was a long time ago. Great game
0: though, by the yeah, way. The that was,
1: what was that was twenty that eleven? 2011, 2012? 2012, I think it was, yeah. yeah. it's a long time. It was, yeah. You could do an entire video series on feminism in that amount of time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and
1: I haven't... Uh, <laughs> I have not played this game at all,
0: but I have been curating some reviews for it, and people are saying it's only like two hours long. Is that I, right? I
1: finished it in about 90 minutes. Wow. Yeah. All that time. Yeah. Can you tell where all this time went when you play the game? Yes. It's a very well-curated game. Thing I can see I can see them having Started this over probably three times Really three times like it, it it's A delicate balance and it's an interesting Story and it It leaves you wanting more but in the way In the way a good story does I yeah. would say um, uh, But yeah it's real short and I'm glad I got the PlayStation Plus like discount price on it because I would not have been pleased if I'd paid the full twenty bucks for it. It's twenty dollars for ninety minutes. I think it's twenty bucks. Well, yeah. when you take five years to make a game, you kind of have to ask got, that yeah, much you for get it. Because there's no I, there's no discount on Steam, and I, it's either fifteen or twenty. I don't remember which it was. Um, so what's the story? What's the plot behind the game? So you play uh, you play a, a girl named Edith Finch. Um, and you're going back to your the your your great grandmother's house uh, after your mother has died, uh, and the trick here is so the Finch family uh, is there's like a this, the, this, the the story is there's a curse quote unquote on the family and they die in hilariously tragic ways kind of like um, intentionally hilarious. Some of it is definitely meant... This is a very dark, dark game in terms of humor and in terms of the subject matter. It is... um, The closest, like, equivalent I could think of is if you've ever seen, uh, I think it's called The Ghastly Crumb Tinies. No. Which is that, it's that, like... Series of like kind of engravings, and it's like A is for kids' name who died. and It's like it's like it's like little Tim Burtonish sort of things, where it's like every it's the alphabet and every letter is a different kid's name and they die in some different kind of darkly f- funny way. Okay. Um, the, basically, the, the it's a very weird family, and there's a little bit of a Winchester Mystery House thing going on here, and that might be too local a reference for some of our viewers. Uh, the Winchester Mystery House is, um, It's a mansion in San Jose, California, near where I grew up, uh, where this woman, uh, uh, it's it's owned by the guy who invented the Winchester rifle, and his wife, Sarah Winchester, after he died went kind of crazy and thought that the ghosts of all the people the Winchester rifles had killed in in the conquest of the West and the genocide of the American Indians were haunting her. And, wow. a, and a and a and a spirit medium, which was a big deal back in the eighteen hundreds or right. early nineteen hundreds. Everybody loved their spirit mediums. Uh, told and her elixirs. that to confuse the spirits <laughs> and keep them away from her, that she could never stop building onto the house. Oh, so the Winchester Mystery House is this gigantic, like hundred-plus room house with stairways that go nowhere to, like, doors that like, end at the top of the ceiling. Wow. Doors that open onto, onto the onto walls. Like, it's she... You, oh, are it losing something? It's plugged in. Um... So, So, she never stopped building on this thing and the and the, the trick was she just had to keep building it didn 't matter whether it ma- it made any sense so you can take a tour now of the Winchester Mystery House, which takes you through all these crazy places and stairways that go up and up nowhere and and rooms that like don't exist for any reason and all that stuff so uh, the, the, the trick here that reminded me of that in, in What Remains of Edith Finch is um, every time a member of everyone in the family kind of has a bedroom in this house, because of the family house every time one of them dies the great-grandmother or later the mother of the, of the protagonist seals that room up it locks it up and and no one can ever go in it again. So if anyone else is born or anyone else joins the family or ever moves back home, they just build on top of the house some more. So the house is sort of this sort of precariously leaning tower. It's almost like a symbolic mausoleum in right, a way. Exactly. Yeah. And so like every door has it has a giant like barred lock on it. And the grand, great grandmother had drilled peepholes. Into it so pe- so she can look in and see The room so that every room has a peephole Or you can look in and see the room and the name of the person And their birth and death date Okay. Um, so that the whole room is like A, is like a mausoleum to everybody uh, That's ever lived there And like basically what you do is you have to Find a way through all these weird secret passages And stuff into each room To find There's Each room has a particular written item That you read and it tells The story of that person's death And then you play it So you go and you play, either as the person or as someone related to the situation, uh, you see what happened and how this person died. And as you complete those stories, you fill it in in a little, like, family tree book that the girl is carrying. And... um and the premise is basically that um, her mother never told her any of this stuff. Her mother's dead now. Left her this key, and she wants to. And so now she has to go find, out, kind of find out the family secrets that she never right. knew the full story behind. And if you if you, if you look down as the character, you see that you're pregnant. Oh, okay. So presumably she's doing this to, you know, as a to, as a record for her future child, so they'll know uh, where they come from. Um, and it kind of goes, it goes all the way back to, like, uh, the, the great-great-grandparents who came over here on, uh, yeah, from Finland on a, uh, on a, he, he, the guy put his whole house on a boat and sailed here and got wrecked on us in a storm off the coast of Seattle. And so... <laughs> surprise, they, surprise! <laughs> so they settled on this island off the coast of Washington and you can see the sunken house oh, like, wow. in the ocean, like, a mile <laughs> out. Um and it's very you know it's it's uh it is you know a walking simulator in its purest form uh, as you can see you're literally just walking everywhere the text is it's all narrated by the girl and various other characters and you see the text pops up in the in the environment a lot of that is very clever sometimes you'll walk through text and it'll all fall on the ground and bounce around and stuff, and you can see the text reflected in mirrors, and, like, it's, oh, it's really? very it's very <laughs> highly integrated into... Well, that's a little
0: weird, don't you think?
1: Oh, yeah, but it's, the whole game is weird. I mean, if you like Tim Burton, or kind of like the, like, uh, I would say, um, like a Roald Dahl kind of thing, like, that just... I really can't emphasize how dark this game is. It is. Is there any objective to it? The objective is to find out the story. Okay. And so, and each... Uh, and basically each uh, little, little you know, gameplay-lit short story sort of thing of each character you play has a different form of gameplay in some way. Like, um, like I think this is the... So uh, the there's first, actual gameplay in the game. Somewhat. I mean, not to the degree that you'd call it that, really, if it was in another game, right. I guess. <laughs> but, um, so this is like... This... You're just
0: grasping at straws when right. you're talking about walking So Waukee this gets Ciminators. you, I think,
1: into the, the little girls' room, uh, Molly. And you. that's the first when you play and in it she believed she she's talking about right she's written down in her diary what happened right before she died and basically she per- becomes a bunch of different animals and you uh like you run around as a cat trying to chase a bird and then you and you turn into an owl and you have to like you have to catch you have to dive down and catch rabbits and eat them i, I should actually actually as to say i don't know if i've ever seen more graphic animal violence really? in a video game. <laughs> like so many I mean, when you catch the rabbit, you actually see the owl like eat it. Really? On screen. And like that's what took all five years. And there's a whole, there's a whole scene, <laughs> and then you become a shark, and you have to like chase down a seal, and you like chase the seal's blood trail. I mean, so we just saw the room with the shark. So is each one of these little gameplay sequences associated with a room in the house? Yes. Okay. So, got so whoever you. was living in that room, and and some of the deaths are like funny. Some of them, and one of them's presented as like a like a like a Tales from the Crypt style comic book, and one of them's presented as. Uh, you see it entirely, it's it's told by her looking at snapshots, and so you see it entirely through the point of view of the camera when it happens in, it seems in the seems like a lot to get through in 90 minutes. It's very, like, each, each like, little, little gameplay sequence is like a, it's, it's almost a Mario game, Mario Party minigame. Oh, uh, okay, it. Got, it's, you, got it, It's like maybe a minute, minute uh, two minutes long. Okay, okay, okay. Depending on whether you can figure out what you need to do, and what you need to do is usually pretty straightforward. Um... It's uh and so like the story is is definitely interesting uh, and I liked it and it had a lot of weird actually had a lot of weird connections with me like what? like like early on the, the the mothers like the loved cat is a calico which was my cat and uh-huh. the cat is named Molly which is my sister's name and in, they have a pet cemetery where they have all the pets that the family's ever had and the, one of the biggest tombstones is Bailey which was my mom's favorite cat that she lost last year and then there's another thing at the very end which also has a direct connection to me, which I thought was extremely eerie, which I won't talk about because it's too yeah. connected to the ending. Right. Um, but like, there was a. P- I kind of walked away from this, like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, like, been like, spying like, on me. <laughs> like, These people made this for me. Wow. Um, I wonder if a
0: lot of people feel that way playing it. If
1: it's, I just think that's the that idea. I that feel that like it touches
0: on those general sort of topics yeah. that. Well, can look, relate-
1: it's a giant. Um, <clears throat> it's a giant. Well, like the first, the, the cemetery. Everyone in the family's buried on the premises. And before you get to the human cemetery, there's the pet cemetery, and the pet cemetery is like thirty some little tombstones of various things. And if you've ever had, an, and every tombstone has a little picture of whatever kind of animal it was. If you've ever had a pet of any kind, there is an equivalent pet in this, to, in this cemetery, and they all have different names. A little and like so, whatever whatever you've had, whatever animal you've loved is in probably in that cemetery somewhere. Right, right. And it's gonna get you. Um, And it's just a very kind of it's a very melancholy, dark game, but it's also kind of funny in places. There's another great, and there's a lot of the, the 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 flashback or gameplay sequences are actually really inventive in places. There's a whole. Um, it's later in the game, but it's a whole. Not thing
0: surprising, where... considering this team right. made the unfinished swamp. There's a
1: later but... thing where, like, you're basically it's a your your character that you're playing as is. He's basically got a job in a, in a fish cannery, and his whole job is to hold, bring the fish over, have a little automatic blade cut the head of the fish off, and then he throws the fish on a, on a conveyor belt. So you're using the right stick to do to move the right, fish and right. grab the fish and do that, grab the fish and do that, and then on this side, it's showing what he's imagining while he's doing this. Oh. And what he's imagining is going through like an RPG, like an isometric RPG, like running through a maze and those <laughs> and you control that with the left stick. No way. So you have to do you have to like move the fish with the right stick and control an RPG with the with the right the left stick. What? And sometimes you have to like things in the RPG won't happen until you cut the head off a fish. <laughs> and it's all like mixed together and it's really uh, invent like it's very it visually like it. inventive both in terms of like kind of the surreal stuff that they use in some of the 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 stories they tell, and also just the design of everything around you. In is this the bird hunting the rabbit here? Yes, that is, this is the this is the <laughs> owl. Um, so like it's, I mean, it is how a how much is it sim- selling for? I want to say it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't really necessarily jump on that for that amount of money unless you Does are. Does this feel like a next like sort of the next level of the Walking Simulator though?
0: I mean. Or does it just be, like, another one with a different story? Yeah, here you go, like,
1: this is, if you don't want to see this, I don't blame you. (laughs) Um, But it's just like, oh, we're just going to swallow this rabbit, okay. (laughs) And there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like this. I mean, death is, this game is mostly about death. That's what it seems, yeah. And how we see ourselves in death and how we memorialize the past in death and whether that's a good thing or whether that means anything. Um... A lot of a lot of what happens in it doesn't make a log- a lot of logical sense like you're back at this house after like, for like five years or something and everything's still fine like no one's stolen anything everything's nothing's dusty you know I was like but that's not the point like it's you're you're practically going you know it, the house pretty much rep- represents your memories of everyone you ever grew up around or everyone who's ever made you who you are right right and you know it's it's effective in what it does with that it's it's like like I'm glad I played it um I still would probably tell you to wait till it's like ten bucks. Ten bucks. That's what it sounds yeah. like to me. Um, but I like it a lot. It would, it would come, it would, it would def- definitely come up in when I'm thinking about my game of the year stuff. I will, it's gonna be probably one of the more, more memorably written games of the year I think. Now there's a shark in the woods. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> roll down into the ocean. This is almost yeah. as funny as the bears from uh, <laughs> everything. Almost. <laughs> yeah, the sad thing is that's actually much better animated than everything could ever hope to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But,
0: so, you're saying wait till it gets down to 10 bucks? Wait till it gets down to 10 or bucks. Or should
1: you just watch somebody else play this on YouTube? I wouldn't do that. I've, I hate that. I, I don't think I've I, ever th- mentioned that on the show before, but... I think the way it unfolds and kind of how you discover how the different mini games kind of work in the flashbacks is worth it. Okay. And um, also because, like, like, yeah, it took them forever, and maybe there's no justification for, for how long it took considering how short the game is, but, like these people put some heart and soul into this thing and that should be rewarded.
0: Alright. So we're going to talk next about a crazy story regarding Tekken 7 this week. So, let's see. How did it all start? It started with uh, several publications running a story saying that Tekken 7 would not have Roger Jr. for its western release uh, because animal rights groups had uh, basically tried to put the kibosh on it. And no. for those of you who don't know, Roger Jr. is the boxing kangaroo that has appeared in countless Tekken games in the United
1: States already. Um, then it comes out that it was all a joke, right? So, yeah, well, I think, I mean, there's, I don't think anybody knows one way or the other necessarily, but I'm pretty we sure. We still don't know if it's true. I'm pretty sure, well, I'm pretty sure, I'm like 95% sure this is Harada fucking with us, because Harada is a giant troll. Um, and he doesn't say they complained about it. He says they took it out to avoid getting complaints about so it. So they from PETA, are, he, oh, specifically he, Peta. Gotcha. Now I think that's a joke based on the idea. There's been a, there's been a running gag going around uh, with people uh, t- uh, waiting for Injustice Two saying that Gorilla Grodd is going to be removed from it in tribute to Harambe. Oh.
2: Um,
1: because you can't you can't depict the gorilla being beaten up because Harambe is our savior and all that stuff. So I think, and Harada pays attention to stuff like that. So I think this is him fucking with people as an excuse for why Rogers not because Roger has not been mentioned for the Japanese release either. Um, I mean, or he, he could. This could also be knowing him. It could be a stealth announcement that Rogers in it.
0: Well, right? Isn't he always the, like an unlockable character? Like he's usually, he's, a usually a him and monster. Alex.
1: Yeah, usually he and Alex are unlockable. Uh, Alex is the raptor Velociraptor who plays identically to Roger. The main reason I think this is. Uh, a joke is a because. I mean, I don't think they ever really announce Roger, do they? Before the game comes out. Well, they announce all characters now. I mean, that's how you that's how you build hype for a fighting game now. Is you slowly announce each character. Um, yeah, but people, when you have fifty, does fifty-one yeah, matter? Well, if it's Roger, I mean, here's a way. Well, we're talking about Roger now, are not
0: we? <laughs> we are, yeah. Because he said
1: this, and the yeah. thing is, like, he's you know people are like, well, why will not you remove Kuma the bear? For the same. Well, region. that was in the
0: stories yeah. well, the he said, that we curated. Said
1: that Kuma's fine. Well, he said he said because bears are obviously stronger than humans, but so are kangaroos. Like yeah, people really box kangaroos, by the way. Yeah, and but get a, their asses kicked. One kick kangaroo. One kick from a kangaroo will kill you. It can. The, yeah. It certainly can. And like also, if you're worried about actual violence coming from that, like it's pretty hard to go find a kangaroo to <laughs> yeah, punch in the United States, unless you're in <laughs> Australia, and most Australians <laughs> know better than that. Yeah. And. <laughs> Here's the thing, like, because the other thing is, like, if you, I think, that's why I think he's taking the piss on this, because he's, he doesn't say anyone said anything, he just says, oh, there was that video of the guy punching a kangaroo to save his dog, and everybody got very upset about it, so we're just going to keep Roger out of this to avoid any controversy and from PETA. And the thing is, like, PETA, if you if you think that's serious, I feel like you're not thinking about how PETA thinks, because PETA is crazy. It is, and. Yeah. The, the Kuma is not going to be okay with them just because... That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
1: That the, like kick-throw thing. Um, the, 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 PETA's not going to be okay with Kuma just because he bears are stronger than humans, because the way PETA would see that is, so, okay, some stupid person's going to decide, I want to box Fight a bear. A bear. Yeah. So they're going to go into the wilderness, find a bear, the and bear is going to, the bear's going to tear his face off with one swipe of his huge paw, and then someone's going to have to go in and kill that bear, because <laughs> when a bear kills a human, we eliminate them.
0: Matt, you're, you're forgetting something very important here, and that's that PETA cares more about the animal than the human beings. I'm
1: not forgetting that at all. That's what. I, that's my whole point. They want the humans to go to the woods and get no, killed by the bear. That's not no because if if a bear kills a person, we kill the bear. All oh, right, right. That's what they'd be. They're like they don't care what happens to the person that goes in and boxes the bear. Yeah. They care that after that person gets mauled to death, the bear gets, the bear gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you know. They probably even have the same complaint about Alex because they think people would go punch a alligator. Yeah, you know. So let's get to the root of this
0: story because I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. It's kind of a fluffy, fun thing, but no, I don't. To me, no matter how you slice it, this was completely moronic <laughs> for him to say anything like this or about this. It, it, either case, it's not good. <laughs> either we have Peta freaking out over nothing, which
1: they do all the time. Or Peter hasn't said anything. This is not right. no one has said anything about this except Harada. Or you just have
0: Harada trolling. Yes. Both of them are bad scenarios in my point of view. That's
1: just how Harada roll. I mean that could be his entire mental explanation for why they didn't put Roger in cuz no one cares about Roger.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's good, though, to troll your fans? No. Like, ever? But, like, that's what like, hes he has a history on this. He does, but I think if you also look at the sales of Tekken over the last, like, 20 years, it's this steady decline to the bottom. True, but at the same time. Nobody
1: cares about Tekken 7 on Sifted, by the way. Would we it be, does ta- terrible would we be tra- talking about Tekken 7 right now if it wasn't for him saying this? Well, I mean, we've talked
0: about Tekken 7
1: on the show. Yeah, before. periodically, but, like, would it have
0: been here today otherwise? Probably not. Ah. No. Well, I don't know. There was a new round of previews that did go up
1: when all this we happened. We wouldn't have been talking about Tekken 7 if it wasn't for this. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe if they actually announced the kangaroo was going to be in it. We wouldn't have talked about that. No.
0: We'd assume that the kangaroo's going to be in it. We're talking about it because the kangaroo is being taken out, which has been in the game for like 15, 20
1: years. But I think the kangaroo may not... I actually they, be taken may out. Actually be taken out. And I think the kangaroo might be... This might be his way of saying the kangaroo's in there. But he's a secret. <laughs> I don't understand, I mean, other than us talking about it. I think we're probably the, the only other thing podcast I've, this week that is talking well, about. Well, that's this. the other thing is like the only site the only site I've ever really heard of or read before that is actually reporting on this is PC Gamer and I think that's because they don't know him well enough. Maybe. To be, and I mean multiple places, including NeoGAF, the thread on this got locked because they're like, This is obviously a joke. It's Harada being Harada. Shut up. Um, you know, and it's basically, I mean, his trolling, if this is trolling, totally worked because people instantly started screaming about PETA and SJWs and liberals and all this crap because they instantly believe that that is exactly what's happening here, which says a lot more about the situation. (laughs) You're right. I mean, the fact that it's so easy for people to believe that, uh, kind of indicates how little attention people tend to be paying. Like, the idea that you would remove, I mean, it is, in some ways, it's the same reason I mean, not PETA-related, but it's, like, the same reason uh, Tecmo gave for not bringing Dead or Alive Extreme 3 over here. We just don't want to deal with it. Right. Does anyone really care if the character's in the
0: game anyway? Probably not. I don't think people care about the character. They care about PETA coming in and trying to alt is a lot like yeah, but the whole thing. Yeah, but PETA didn't do anything. Thing. Right. <laughs> I know. Like, that's why it's a joke. But that's why he... this is so wrong, though, because either Harada's trolling his fans... Or he's like trolling Peta.
1: Either way, it's a yeah. dirty lowdown. Well, now Peta knows about it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, how to me, it's completely irresponsible that he would do this. Like, yeah. maybe it, what if Peta does complain about this game? That's national coverage. Well, how hilarious would it be now if
0: Peta had nothing to do with this? Harada brings his crap up, and now Peta does go after him, and Peta can't do anything. They can complain can and complain. try to get other people to but, complain. But
1: all that is is free publicity.
0: It is free publicity for the game, but that doesn't mean that it won't ha- won't affect their development of the game and have to, like, try to take him out for the U.S. They version. Take or him
1: out for that. There's no... PETA... Peta... No one cares what PETA says. Oh, either. they'll say
0: that until there's, like, people hanging out outside a GameStop with, like, buckets of fake blood to throw on people as they walk out with their copy of Tech and yeah, savage. Well, <laughs> well,
2: okay. Then they'll be arrested
0: for assault, and that'll be the end of that. But... I mean, that happens all the time. They do it all the time. They're crazy, dude. Pete is crazy. Yeah.
1: But, like, I don't know if they're that crazy. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I'll give it, like, a coin flip 50-50. They would care one way or the other about an animal being a fighter in a fighting game. Yeah. Because it's also, like you say, it's like, you'd think someone would have brought that up to them in the last, how many games? 15 years or how long he's been there. I just, I—that's I, why. Again, I think Karada's just joking. I'm not saying it's funny. Yeah, it's I'm not, not saying it's appropriate. Yeah. but I'm pretty sure that's what he's. I'm pretty sure he's trolling us. He's being a jerk. Yeah, like, in one way or
0: another, there's no good really that comes out of this, other than him saying, "Oh, I got Shane and Matt to talk about." Tekken well, I mean, seven. It,
1: it is the first time I've given any thought to Tekken Seven in a in a, a month. few months. Yeah, yeah like, for sure.
0: All right, let's move on to our last topic of the show. We're going to talk about Outlast Two, a game that I was really excited to play. Uh, as you guys probably know, I'm a huge horror game fan. I'm a huge horror movie fan. Um, enjoyed the hell out of Resident Evil Seven. This game gave me a similar vibe. Uh, I Trailers was, look
1: good. What'd you say? Trailers look
0: good. Trailers looked amazing. A lot of the game, the developer walkthroughs they put out scared the living crap out of me just watching them. Um, and now I have played it.
1: Mm. <laughs> and I did not play it because I wasn't paying thirty bucks for
0: this thing. Yeah, I. Uh, it's Look, it's not a bad game, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, parts of it are really good. The first couple hours of it are absolutely terrifying and horrifying. Um, just set it all up, you're seeing the beginning of the game right here. Uh, basically, what's happened is a pregnant woman has gone missing in the woods. Uh, you're a, hus- a husband and wife reporting team hmm. going to the area where she disappeared to try to find out what's happened to her. Um, helicopter crashes. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> You do that <laughs> Yeah, especially for- yeah, Especially uh, in video games. Video games. Uh, you end up stranded out in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and you stumble across this commune slash cult slash weird backwoods community. You don't really know anything. Um, you just kind of start stumbling around through the dark. You're separated also, by the way. The husband and wife team are separated, so you're playing as the husband. So you set off to find your wife, and you discover this village. And very quickly, you discover that this village is overrun by complete maniacs.
1: Hmm. Um, There's some nice reflections on the locker there.
0: Yeah, Uh, the game looks good at times, other times not so much. It still has a little bit of that indie... I don't even know how you'd describe it, but you know when you see it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not incredibly polished, I guess. Probably the worst looking thing in the game is the character models. Um, the good news is the game is so damn dark. You, <laughs> they made the right choice there because you can hardly see any of them anyway. Um, and another part of it, which is what and you're seeing, right...
1: been working out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the other part of it you're seeing right now is you have these flashbacks from when the main protagonist was growing up and he was in Catholic school, mm. and a lot of bad things happened to him while he was going through Catholic school that I won't spoil.
1: As it does.
0: Right, and it sort of <laughs> ties into the bigger plot. Um, And that's all I'm going to say about the story I won't ruin it for anybody, anything else For anyone else But So the game itself is When you first start playing it, like I said It is absolutely terrifying You have no attacks in this game You have no way to fight back You can't punch, you can't pick stuff up And hit people with it You literally can just walk, run And film with your video camera That's it Um, The whole game is gated by The batteries in your video camera Uh, Because it is so dark, if you don't have your video camera on with the light on, a lot of times you can't see anything. Like literally it's just pitch black. So a big part of the game is, one, you use your camera to actually record stuff. Um, There's like sometimes a prompt will pop up in the middle of the screen to let you know that there's something there that you need to record. They're kind of like memories or whatever. Um, And then the camera is used to see. You need the light on your camera to see. So a big part of the game is intelligent use of your camera and the light on your camera because just having your camera up will slowly drain the battery and then if you turn the light on it drains the battery even more quickly so a big part of it is making sure that you're not overusing and you're there you're seeing out some of the clips stuff there where you can kind of look at the archives of clips that you've shot with your camera so a big part of it is trying to manage your batteries to make sure you never run out because if you do you're completely screwed So you don't want to leave it on like all the time, but you don't want to turn it off sometimes because it obviously will give you clues. It's essentially a stealth game, is what this is. There's no combat other than you getting skewered. And one thing the game does great is the death sequences. So a lot like Resident Evil games, um, every enemy sort of has its own way that it kills you. Mm. And they do not pull any punches. It is crazy, gory, over the top. Like one of the enemy stabs you like six times and then basically chops your crotch off and blood just starts pouring out of your crotch like it it certainly pulls no punches and it it shows you right out of the gate that it doesn't pull punches so that you know to be fearful for the rest of the game Um, and so your first few encounters with the people in the cult are just horrifying you feel helpless because you have no weapon and it is kind of ridiculous because you go through these houses and churches where there's stuff laying everywhere that conceivably you should be able to pick up and bash someone in the head with, but no, you, you can't. Yeah, you, you can only have your camera. So it's all about finding your way from point A to point B. And in between point A and point B is generally like a linear cattle chute that will occasionally crack open a little bit to maybe like a little hamlet of like houses and cottages. And... Right out of the gate, it tells you, it it, it teaches you, like, you need to be in fear of anyone that you run into contact with. One, they'll kill you on sight. They hate you. They don't talk. They don't reason. You you don't have any chance to talk your way out of anything. They see you, they kill you. So you know immediately to be fearful of anything that's moving around. Um, And the other thing that, that you learn right away is that the game, you're not always supposed to be stealthy. So when I first started playing it, I was cowering in fear and like hiding in the shadows and walking in the grass. And you get to this certain part where there's an enemy that if it sees you, it kills you instantly. And so for the first like four or five times, I'm like trying to use stealth. I'm trying to skirt around the edge of the environment. I'm trying to find a way like through the house that's like right next to it. And as it turns out, you just have to gather up the guts and just run past the enemy. And this enemy is like nine feet tall and has like a huge scythe and you don't want to go anywhere near it because it's already killed you three times by chopping your balls off. So eventually you have to just gather up the guts to just run past it. And like that was a big breakthrough moment for me, but I also feel like it kind of broke the game. So you have a sprint and you have your light and it is terrifying. Like you're running, you can see right now, you're seeing with like the night vision. That's as far as you can see in front of you. And so when you're running from some of these creatures, you're only seeing like 5 or 10 feet in front of you and sometimes you end up running into a dead end Um, because the game is, the level design is all linear and it has like these places where it looks like a little alcove but really you just end up getting trapped there and getting killed so a lot of the fear is running away from the enemies while using this little camcorder light while worrying that your battery is going to run out while worrying that you're not going to be able to find another battery and you're going to be stuck in the pitch black with no way to get out of it so The first couple hours of this are really freaking intense, man. I mean, literally, like, bite your nails, like, inch forward an inch at the time type stuff. And then once you have that first encounter where you learn that, one, you can run away. and I got that shovel. Right. (laughs) You can't. Once you have that one encounter where you learn that, one, you can run away, and, two, that sometimes you should run away, everything else just kind of crumbles a little bit. Um, because you realize you can outrun most of the enemies, and once you kind of get over the fear of it, and especially if it's not pitch black and you don't need to rely on your light, the fear kind of goes away, because you're like, I know as long as I can stay on the path, I can eventually outrun most of the enemies in the game. And the other parts where they ask you to sort of use the stealth in the game, it's like you hide in a barrel, or you go, or there's like always... Houses or cottages along like the sides of the path and so you can like open up a window go in through the window Hide in a vanity inside the house wait for them to leave get out open the window and you can kind of just Daisy chain the houses to get yourself through each sort of area Um, One thing I will say about this game is the audio in this game is incredible It is some of the best audio I've ever heard in a horror game. There are The first night I played... I didn't start playing until 1 in the morning. And I was playing with headphones on. And I'm kind of just like... Inching through the woods. Kind of scared still. I've just kind of figured everything out. And you just start hearing like this weird voice like... Praying. To the devil. Not to to (laughs) God or anything like that. Just basically like satanic, crazy, ritualistic chants. And it's like this foreboding. And then... You don't see him because it's pitch black, and next thing you know, you're like two feet away from him, and it's too late, and he just kills you. That's sort of what happens in this game. And what I've discovered is, like, the more you start learning about the cult, um, the once you meet back up with your wife, it doesn't take that long before you meet back up with her for the first time, and you start learning a little bit more. Like, there's another faction of people who are against the crazy psychopaths who kind of help you. It... It just starts to fade, I guess is the best way to put it, and everything in general, because the gameplay, there aren't really any mechanics, and the ones that are there are kind of clunky, the writing is really stilted, you can tell it was written by someone that English is probably not their first language, so there's lots of, like, um, I actually haven't played a game like this in a while, where there are lines in the script that are just kind of offensive, and, uh, kind of getting back to the feminist frequency thing, like, she would have a field day with this game, because mm. some of the things that the men say to the women in this game just aren't really a part of lexicon in Western culture anymore. It's, I guess, maybe a good way to put it is there's a little bit of Eurojank in this game. Mm.
1: There's just, But mostly in the script.
0: Yeah, there's just, like, these weird tone-deaf moments where you're like, you know, one, <laughs> they probably would never say that. Two, definitely that's not something that someone should say to someone else. Mm. And it just little
1: stuff so like that. So not only is it like like tonally the wrong thing, but it's also something that no one would ever say in English. Yes. Yes, in exactly. America, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, it,
0: you can. Yeah, you can just. Tell I kind it. of
1: feel that way about Persona Five at this point.
0: Yeah, it's it's a little bit like that, but and you know what? There's tone deaf stuff in Persona Five as oh, well. Yeah. No doubt oh, about it. Oh, for sure. It.
1: Lots of it actually. That's, but, why I, that's why I thought of it. Yeah, it's like that's a horrible thing to say. Also, you would never say it in that order. Yeah, <laughs> in, in American English, I just know. But
0: and here's the thing: so the game is like thirty bucks. Um, I would not spend $30. The game is only, I think, like six hours long, something like that. But I will also say that by the time I got to the end of the six hours, I was done with it. Mm. Um, if it had stayed as, an inten- as intense as the first like hour and a half were, I don't know if I could have played it for six hours. Like, that's how, that's how impacting the beginning of this game is. And that's one thing I would say, that those moments when you first start playing it, are almost good enough to rationalize the $30, Matt. Like, it is really that intense. Like, when you first start finding your bearings and figuring out how the camera works and you start rationing your, cause at first you just leave your camera on all the time. Because you just aren't thinking, oh, the battery's gonna run out really quickly. And then it does. And then you have no light. And you're out in the middle of pitch black and you're hearing these crazy voices talking and these sound effects of something like slithering in the grass next to you. Like, it, it, it's really, really impactful. But I felt like the longer I played it, the more time I spent with it, the less impactful it got and the less unique it got. It it became more like a traditional horror adventure game as it went on. Whereas at the beginning, I felt like it was something really unique and something different. Although also still a nod to the first game in a lot of ways. So... I'm disappointed in it. I really thought this was going to be something special. Uh, I prefer Resident Evil 7 over this a ton. There's just way more to do. It's way more involved, way more interesting while you're still getting sort of this same survival element to it. Um, So if I'm looking at like $30 for this or $60 for Resident Evil 7 or even cheaper if you can find it on a discount... Spend the extra money and get Resident
1: Evil Seven. It, it it's there's it's really no contest. Resident Evil Seven is the uh, running from crazy backwoods people game of choice for the year so it's, far. Yeah,
0: and see the thing, and Resident Evil kind of does the same thing this game does, where is it, it loses steam the mm. more you play it. It kind of strays away from that. Um, but the best of Resident Evil Seven is way better than mm. the best of Outlast Two. There's, so there's no VR in this. No VR. No. Interesting. Yeah, it would make man. I don't think people could play it in VR. Does that the first couple hours? I'm just telling you, man. Like those first, like two acts of this game are really freaking intense, man. Like some, literally, some of the most scared I've ever been playing a video game. Um,
1: and and that's why I say maybe Seems like a good humble bundle option sometimes. Yeah,
0: future. and that's but you know what? If you're like someone like me who's really into horror games or horror movies. Uh, it's probably worth the 30 bucks, but that's a small group of people. Uh, you know obviously we're talking to everybody here on Game Face, and so it's hard for me to recommend to everyone. Um, I wish there was more stuff like this, to be honest with you. Like a lot of the hide and seek in the game isn't like in the cornfields and stuff like that. There I you do hide underwater a good bit in the game though, I'll say that much. That isn't just a gimmick. There's several points in the game where you do sort of go underneath this nasty-ass water and have to, like, wait for them to leave the room or whatever. But uh, I enjoyed it a lot at first, and then my entertainment kind of waned mm. as the game went on. So I would say most people, I'd buy it 15 or 20 something like that. Only purchase this if you're hardcore into horror games and, and horror movies. Um, otherwise, you can steer clear until there's a discount on the way. So... That'll wrap it up. It's time for our trailer of the week. Obviously we would have ran with Call of Duty World War 2. That trailer was good, by the way. Yeah, uh, they, they did a great job cutting that. Really exciting. Um, but there is a game that came out this week that we really have not covered at all on Game Face. And we didn't really cover the first one either. Uh, and that's Dragon Quest Heroes 2 is coming out. Or it actually is out now, I believe. Um, and we haven't really talked about it on the show. I think we had one other trailer of the week for it at one point. Uh, but we want to make sure that we put it on your radar so that you guys know that it is out there. Um, and it is, I don't think, the Switch version doesn't come out for another two or three months, I think. Um, and they can the Vita version in the U.S. Completely. The mm. a Vita version in Japan that can it here. So I think just the PS4 and PC? Is that coming out for PC? Yeah, the last one did. So, yeah. so just PS4 and PC on the market. Uh, but here's the launch trailer. Get those questions in right now.
1: What do you say? Shall we make this fat lady sin?
0: We knock one monster down and a hundred more spring up in its place. Honestly, when will this war ever end?
2: All right, let's go!
1: I can't just stand by and do nothing while Dionysio and Harbour tear each other apart. Fire!
0: These people are in danger.
1: Let's do what we were trained to do. You're right.
0: Let's hit them so hard they never make war again. Well, that's just charming.
1: Do you ever think before you speak? Huh? <laughs> Hold on, we can't be expected to fight a monster like that. Why can't he pick on someone his own size?
0: Alright, time to get out there and win this war. That's yeah. Matt, it looks like all the characters are made out of plastic in that game.
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> Should we match the uh, English script to the lips? Moving? Yeah, that was nah, really bad. Who needs to do that? I, I mean, think.
0: look, a lot of Japanese games do
1: that. They don't, like, reanimate the. Oh, they don't base, reanimate the it, but a, lot, but a lot of times you try to have the, the voice acting of the script kind of more At least less try match to match? Of the, of the, of the, <laughs> at least, like, if they say, like, you know, if the mouth moves once, you don't try to fit four words into it. Then, yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I am shocked at
0: how many people are freaking out over the fact that I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> it's like it's like it's, I'm a different person because I'm wearing a hat. I actually wear hats all the time. I used to be a hat
1: collector, yeah. in fact. But uh, I mean, it is a Stussy hat, yeah, which many have not seen in the wild for some years. Really? What do you mean? I don't know. People reacting is like, "Wow, where did he get that archaic relic thing?" I don't know. What, dude? is still huge. It's bigger now than it's ever been. Hmm. I don't know what you people are talking
0: about. I'm actually a Stussy collector, believe it or not. I've been buying Stussy since like 1985. I think I may have one of the biggest collections in the United States. I don't know if I should be proud of that or not. All right, let's get to some questions. People think I lost a bet. Wearing a hat because I lost (laughs) a bet. (laughs) Uh, Here's one from Vic 7 What's up, man? Uh, Looking at this generation so far, would you say video games, as far as innovation and risk, peaked last generation? Feels like the risk is so high now that almost no one does much outside of by the number of sequels and
1: remasters. How would you grade this generation so far? Great question. Um, I don't think it peaked last generation at all. I think stuff's great right now. You think it's innovative, though? Um, I don't automatically associate innovative with great. So I don't care.
0: I mean, that's a good point. Just because I mean, something I mean, is different
1: doesn't mean it's good. I mean, there's not a whole lot that's innovative about Breath of the Wild, but that's a pretty great game. Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot that's innovative about Horizon Zero Dawn, but it's a pretty great game. It's like, yeah. you give me good games, I care more about that than doing something I've never seen before. I'll I, always take something innovative if it's done well, but that's not a requirement for me liking something.
0: I think we, uh, we're we getting a lot of the innovation now via hardware. Yeah. I mean, with VR and Switch and stuff like that, and even the Wii U to an extent. I mean, I don't know what generation you want to place the Wii U in. I place it in this generation with the Switch just coming. Um, but as far as game design and ideas, I, I agree with them. I think that innovation is completely stymied. Um, I feel like we aren't seeing a lot of new ideas. I think they're playing it safe. I think the budgets are so big that, they, that they're forced to. Um, even, but I also feel like with indie games... It's becoming exceedingly rare to see new ideas. Like everything, mm-hmm. I think is one example of a of a game that's come out recently that's been uh, interesting or at least a little different, but otherwise it's like even with indie stuff, it's like a walking simulator or a side scrolling platformer or they just mash everything into one game.
1: Yeah, but, uh, roguelike. But let me let me also again, that uh, partly because I'm reading these old game magazines so much right now. But there's a letter to the editor in the Feb in the March 1993 issue of Video Games Computer Entertainment in which a guy complains about how there's no innovation anymore, <laughs> everything's totally unoriginal, nobody uh. tells good stories in games anymore, not like those really good stories in Zelda 1 and Blaster Master.
0: <laughs> and it's okay. just like this is
1: the eternal complaint of gaming. It's like everything's yeah. a sequel, everything's a clone, there's no innovate and it's like it's it's always wrong. I mean is it mostly like that? Yeah. But in 20 years, no one will remember that and everyone will just remember that we were playing Bloodborne. Great games, yeah. You know, it's like Because it's like, when you look, everyone forgets it's like 90% of what you could buy back in the golden age of video games was a bunch of Mario clone crap. Yeah, you're right. Like, but we don't think about that that's still what we're getting. Because when <laughs> in your head, when you think of the NES, you think of all the stuff that was on the NES Classic. Right. You're not thinking about like... The dozens of other games yeah, that the were endless released that were of crap. There. Yeah. You, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the Simpsons games that were unplayable and the... You know, all that stuff. I can't even think of any examples because they were all so bad. I'm paging these old game magazines. I'm reading these reviews of games I have not thought of in 25 years, for good reason. Yeah, 'cause they were bad. Because 90% of everything's crap. I mean, there's games from five years ago that I don't think about at all. Oh yeah. or games you go back to and you're like, oh, I remember... Th- oh, no, I like this because I had nothing else to do at the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's I, really what it
0: is, though. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you're just finding something to fill in a gap between the next really great yeah. games. So. I had that
1: with... Uh, I tried to replay Viking Battle of Asgard uh, last year. It was a creative assembly. Like, they made an open-world <laughs> yeah, Viking yeah. game out of nowhere. Like, the Total War guys made an open-world Viking game? Like, it can't be terrible. Uh, and I played the whole thing. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I, I did 1,000 out of a 1,000, achie- all the achievements, wow. the whole deal. And I tried to play it again. I was like, wow, I must have had nothing to do that week. (laughs) Because I don't know why I would ever play this again. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. From Drunken Elvis. Is there any other
0: kind of Elvis? Thus far, what are your most enjoyable gaming experiences of 2017?
1: Zelda and Horizon. I think that's probably most people's answers. Um, In terms of storytelling, I actually really did like What Remains of Edith Finch. Um, Anything else Earlier
0: I mean I'm yeah. honestly I feel like I've taken Equal but different amounts of enjoyment Out of Zelda, I just started playing Horizon So I can't talk about that yet Persona and Mass Effect Andromeda Those are the games that sort of stand out for me So mm. far and I've liked Parts of all of them but none of, none of those games have I liked Really necessarily a whole lot more than the others
1: Right I really also really liked everything for just how weird, just how weird that. it is. Yeah. Um, again, another example of like, is it innovative? Yes. Is it good because of that? I don't know, but I yeah. sure, I sure find it relaxing. Yeah.
0: I don't know I, I might... like games that elicit other feelings out of you yeah. other than terror or frustration.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I have really like, kind of, you know, picked up. I by mean, we're it, only really through April right now, so yeah. But like, it's it had a we pre- had a pretty packed Q1. Oh, it's been like the best Q1 ever, um, like ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think Horizon Zelda and uh, everything are kind of the standout moments. Uh, Justin Horman, always asking questions. Puyo uh, Puyo t- Tetris seems to be
0: getting decent reviews for the Switch. What Japanese-only games in the past? Do you wish you would have localized, but never actually did, and end up coming over? Do so you end up importing that game.
1: Um, this is gonna make me sound like a broken record, but uh, yes, the Yakuza games that take place in medieval Japan, uh, which was uh, I can't remember the I can't remember their names, but there's another one that either just came out or is coming, and that's not coming here either. Uh, I did actually import. Uh, yeah, I did import the last one, the most re- the PS4 one. And then, uh, actually, uh, the, the last one, the original one was a PS3 game uh, when took place in the old, the old days. Yeah. Um, on one of his uh, TGS trips, our friend uh, on expert exploit, Albert Iskander, I remember him. Iskander. Iskander. Uh, he, um, he brought me back a copy. He's in my fantasy football league, my nice. L.A. league, so I still talk to him all the time. He brought, Great me, guy. he brought me back a copy of that game out of nowhere. Oh, really? I was like, right. He's like, oh, I don't know you love Yakuza, so I wanted to get the, the new one for you. And He's a I knew it's it not, it not coming here. He's i was a like good dude. So not a lot of people would do that. That's true. Uh, for me, Sin and Punishment on N64. Um, yes, I imported that. Yes, and, I did
0: import it. And no, it was never released in the U.S. Um, and I would also get, say... It did get a virtual console release. Though. Right. And I would say that I was ultimately disappointed in the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as it was one of the there's been a lot of that's an a treasure phenomenon. game.
0: Every treasure game gets like this crazy yeah. like hype to it and mischief yeah. makers was another treasure
1: NCC an four game. Shake 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 shake. shake, 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 shake. NCC four games are really good at annoying sounds. <laughs> they, really? like, they were, well they had cards. They had like, to reuse all the sounds over and over. Um, that was also Sin in punishment though, like it was like this legendary
0: game that everyone was like, "Oh, yeah. it's the best game!" Like, and I paid—I don't know—I paid like ninety dollars for it yeah, or I paid whatever. Like 80 bucks for that
1: <laughs> I was like I was like what? It's over in like four hours. I know. Like, yeah, I was disappointed. I mean, in It ultimately. was good for the time in terms of visuals for the N sixty four, but it was just like there wasn't a whole lot else like it. But it's not. Worth and then it. they made what Star Successor for yeah. Wii? I think that's right. Yeah. But it's like, that actually like, was was published. Here. But that's the the tale of, of import gaming for ev- you know it's like it, it forever. It was like oh this game you know it goes back to uh, uh, Die Hard game fan. And uh, how much it hyped uh, the Genesis uh, Batman game? Yeah, remember that one? Like people yeah. didn't know if I was going And It was like, oh, it's the most amazing thing. It's the greatest Batman game ever. I mean, my, it may have been, but yeah. that, it wasn't saying much right. at that point. Until Arkham Asylum, that's not saying much. Yeah. And like, just it was just like you know screenshots. Everyone's like, oh my god, it looks like photo real. It's incredible. And then it finally came out here, and I was like,
2: eh.
1: yeah. You know, like, <laughs> um, I had a friend who actually did import the Mega Drive version from Japan, and I remember we were like. Really? Like that's it? He's like, eh, I didn't tell my dad. His dad got it for him on a business trip, and he can't. He's like, I haven't told my dad. It's actually kind of dumb. <laughs> why, I'm,
0: my question is, why did Puyo Puyo Tetris prompt him to ask this question? Because
1: this available Cause Puyo in the Puyo, US. Puyo Tetris has been out in Japan for like three years, right? And it's just now coming here in any form. Oh, I didn't Switch. know that. I think that's right. Yeah, I it's thought it had been available for other platforms here. No, I think it's all. I think it's also coming out for the PlayStation. But I think oh. it's all. This is the. I think this is the first time it's come out here. I might be wrong. I was not aware about, about it. aware of that. Okay. Uh, I feel, also, I, I like Puyo Puyo enough that I feel like I would have it if it did exist. Yeah. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention.
0: Uh, next one from Wolfox10JC. If my eyes aren't deceiving me. Uh, what will sell more, Injustice 2 or Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite?
1: My guess on that would be Injustice 2, uh, because Mortal Kombat routinely outsells uh, street, street Fighter, and uh, I mm. think Injustice I think Injustice sold ver- pretty well as well. I think it's just going to get some good momentum and boom.
0: I'm going to say Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite only because I have all the
1: stats <laughs> and I can see mm. which games are doing well on Sifted. I would also, but I would add as a caveat: the Mortal, Co- the Nether Realms games don't generally sell to our audience. Uh, to Sifted's No, you're right, you're absolutely right. Um, but it, it's tracking really low on sifted, mm-hmm. as far as like other fighting games. I certainly don't particularly care about it, but I feel yeah. like in, I feel like Nether Realm has sort of a built-in sales. P- I mean, look, if the first one could sell, and it looked like that. <laughs> and now it actually looks pretty good.
0: I just say Marvel, and I just at a base level, I think Marvel is far more popular than DC. In
1: film, it is, I think, but like, in, in, I don't know if that fully translates to video games.
0: I just think people care more about the characters. What you were talking about earlier about the DLC and them rolling out characters—maybe wow, they do is... get the X Men in the game eventually. Yeah. I mean, maybe not, but
1: maybe like if years from now, if Fox magically decides to give them the license back, but I don't see that happening. I would like to think that Marvel versus Capcom would sell better because I expect it to be a better game. Yeah, certainly a better fighting game. Um, But I don't know. The NetherRealm games sell real well, so I don't know. I'm I'm not quite willing to bet against NetherRealm yet, especially if uh, Marvel is following the Street Fighter V template.
0: Uh, Hippie 2000. Do you think there is any unknown AAA titles coming out this year? I think Capcom just announced today that it's working on. It has a big game. But it said it's coming before the end of March next year. Mm, fiscal year. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I think Sony must have a couple things we don't know about. Uh, and I hope Microsoft does, because otherwise that's a real empty Scorpio launch. There has to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely something coming
0: from one of the big three that will be out. before. I would even be surprised if Nintendo has a big game for
1: Q4. Look, at this point, the big, game, big surprise game for Q4 is still Xenoblade 2. Yeah, they, they, re- they,
0: they, they reaffirmed it! Again. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, dude. I cannot
1: believe that they went out on a limb and reaffirmed it yesterday when for this year. When it's in my hand.
0: How is that game done? How do they get know. that done?
1: I mean, I hope it's true, because I loved the first yeah, one, yeah. and I liked X, so I'll play this one, no question. But the idea that that's going to be here in English by the end of this year is, like, crazy to me. Uh, kill when, kills with Kindness, will either of
0: you stream Star Trek Bridge Crew? That'd be a tough stream. You I have think. to have... Four people, all with PlayStation VR. Well, you could do it
1: online, I guess. I guess. Well, it's It will lose its, an well, its impact,
0: though. I know, but you want to see right. the people interacting together. So even if you did it online, you'd have to have four streams. We have to, like, use a TriCaster to bring in, like, four streams and, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, maybe I'll do a stream by myself, but uh, I doubt we would do, like, a team-oriented thing. I'm hungry. Are you? I am, in fact. Yeah, I haven't actually eaten anything <laughs> today. Uh, JM Rain 99. What do you think is the most underrated game of the year so far? For me, it's easy. Mass Effect Andromeda. It's. I think you guys already know that just by watching this show. That's, for me, it's a no-brainer. Well, it's definitely not that.
1: Um, I don't know if I really would call anything tremendously underrated. I think everything's been pretty rated, or overrated. In some there's cases. been overrated for sure. I mean, uh, you, you've got a contingent of people that seem to think that uh, Breath of the Wild is the first game to do anything, good or bad. Like I've, I've seen, I've seen threads created about that game that boggle my mind in terms of like, is Zelda the first game? What was it? Is Zelda the first game to make you try to find locations from a like a photo of it? And I'm like, no, yeah. like not even <laughs> remotely close to so like I've done that in adventure games since the '90s. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I feel like I don't know. No, I don't really have an answer for that. I mean, like maybe everything gets a little more hate than it should, but. I feel like everything's kind of asking for it in a way by being what it is. Like, 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 everything is going to be that one way or the other. Yeah. And like, when it comes down to it, even though I've probably played like 15 hours of it, when people's like, I don't think this is really a video game, I'm like, I think you might have a point there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's hard to, I can't, nothing jumps to mind for, for underrated so far. I feel like people have been, credit's been what credit is due, and some people have gone a little overboard On other things. Okay, P2KA69. Have you
0: guys played the prey demo? I have not.
1: I started it up in, on the PS4. I think it was. No, I didn't. I couldn't find it on the PSN store, so I didn't play. It. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, when does that game come out?
0: Like, next week. Next week? Oh, I what forgot they... to contact Bethesda about code. <laughs> are they giving out code? I, oh, that's right, they probably won't.
1: Isn't that, this, are they still on there? We don't give any code yeah, out until the day right. it comes out? Well, at least I didn't okay. miss the code sent out. I'll just have
0: to wait and I'll get it on day of or whatever. We'll definitely be talking about it next week, re, mm-hmm. whether we just play the demo the thing, or I read a lot of version. impressions
1: that said uh, the PS4 version has really bad lag, and in, uh, latency input. Um, like, like, Dishonored 2 had it too, I guess. I didn't play Dishonored 2 on PS4, but... Uh, Apparently it's really noticeable, and they said that it'll be fixed for the final retail. But of course, Dishonored 2 is, and it's the condition it launched in has made it So I guess we'll find out. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I also saw, I also saw um, a thread about it, about the demo, where someone had put a spoiler warning in it that said it's the first hour of the game, and about 15 minutes into that, a big spoiler for the game happens. I'm like, I don't think. The play, learning something from playing the game is not a spoil, spoiler. That's not what that means. Yep. All right, we'll answer one more. We're right up at our deadline here.
0: Um, last one from Score Scorefear. Uh, chances that Nintendo is working on VR or will be soon? Uh,
1: chances that what were? That Nintendo is working on VR or will be soon? Uh, I'd say it's decent chance they're working, they've got something in mind, but soon, no. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll see Nintendo do VR for five years.
0: If that. Yeah. The, the, Even then only if some miracle happens And it
1: suddenly explodes The Switch can't do reason. it It's
0: simply not powerful enough to do no. VR Even though that really cool experiment that that kid did this week I don't know if you saw that on Sifted Where mm-hmm. a guy basically built like a Switch VR thing Like a Google Cardboard cell thing Well he, he had a mobile headset already right. That the Switch tablet fit it in perfectly fit in yeah. yeah and so then he used uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D hmm. To create like the it's Watch it it's on Sifted You can find it pretty easily uh, I mean, I can see all the props in the world of that but... guy, but Nintendo, I, it, the hardware just isn't there. So I think when the Switch successor comes out, or if they beef up the hardware of Switch, I think that's when you'll yeah. see Nintendo dabble into it, but not before then. Like so. even
1: with how well Zelda runs in handheld mode, it's still only thirty frames per second, and that's not good enough for a VR experience.
0: Yep, we'll take one more because there's a really quick one uh, with Scorpio Specs. Would you rather have 4K 30 or 1080 60? That's from W. Matthew.
1: Hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a per-game basis for me. I go 1080-60. Frame rate. Is for the games
0: that I play, I play a lot of action games, so frame rate really matters to I mean, me. Probably, and as I always say, I'm a gameplay-first guy. Also, so. I
1: don't have a 4K TV, so I guess 1080-60. Yeah,
0: I don't either. <laughs> so, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> it's 1080-60 for me. So, Alright, that's it for the questions. Before we go, we have one more order of business to attend to. We have a brand new member of Sifted Elite this week. Bring him up. He is the Sound Wizard. Thank you very much for your donation. It's been a while since we've had a new member of Elite. Yeah. People have been donating, but they're already Elite members. So this uh, Sound Wizard actually donated that money because he found out I was working on Saturday. And oh, I, I saw that. Comment. I work every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep those donations coming, bro. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding, but uh, I work every Saturday and probably 50% of Sundays. So, uh, But thank you very much, Sound Wizard. He is also the guy who made the uh, sound effect for our achievements on Sipi. Hmm. So thank you very much, man, for your support. For the site. Game, man. And, yep, And for your donation. Uh, that's it for Game Face 85. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week. More hot games are coming, although things are cooling off a little bit, seems like. But yeah. we've got to talk about Prey next week and a couple other big ones. So, everybody have an is awesome weekend. Week? What'd you say? Is it next week or is, is it... I don't know. You told me that and now I'm just to I think, sticking I to think
1: it. it might be too late for... I think it's May 4th or 5th or something. It could be. I think it's another Friday release. Yep. Alright.
0: Well, everyone have a great weekend, great Friday night, Saturday morning, wherever the hell you are, what you're doing. Game Face is up and out.